Cinemodies, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob, and we are wrapping up our Pure Cinemodities series this week and this month by discussing uh, something that Zach and I both love very, very much, the 2017 song Dead Alive by The Shins. This is, uh, is going to be difficult. It's about a four-minute-long song, but we're going to get two hours of discussion. So did you bring all of your questions and, and ideas about this song, Zach? <laughs> oh, I'm always ready for Dead Alive discussions. All right, so now that we have said that we are discussing this song, we can play a little bit of it. And now we should get to what we're actually discussing, a movie with two names, it seems, uh, one of them being Dead Alive, as we North Americans know it. But to the rest of the world, it's brain dead, right, Zach? Yeah, because apparently there was like a movie or something that came out called Dead Alive or um, Brain Dead. And they were like, no, we can't have the same title as this. Let's just name it something different in, in North America. And here we are. All right, and so this was, uh, was this 91, 92? Definitely early 90s, I believe. 92. Um, 92, okay. The film directed by none other than Peter Jackson, which we're going to have to talk about, and it is uh, one of the goriest, goofiest, zaniest rides we have ever gone on through film, I would say. Is that a fair uh, way to put it, Zach? <laughs> I don't think you're doing it justice enough. Okay, we need the whole episode to really do it justice, and that probably won't even won't even get it done. I know Zach is uh, wanting to go on a rant about that, right? <laughs> oh yes, folks. There's there there's a rant. But I'm going to save it for a couple of minutes. Okay, okay. Well, then I guess I want to start with Peter Jackson because I, I uh, knew him originally as the director of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the Hobbit trilogy, uh, and King Kong, which I very infamously fell asleep in the theaters for. <laughs> So when I kind of knew Peter Jackson in the early 2000s for those films, I wasn't really the biggest fan of him. I, I can't stand the Lord of the Rings movies. I think I've said a few times on this podcast before. The Hobbit movies, I, I really liked the first one when I was seeing it. But then at the, when it ended, I didn't know that it was going to be a trilogy, and I just got angry about that. And then the other two <laughs> movies were terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was such a bummer. I remember like people were like, oh, we should go see The Hobbit. And I was like, oh. 
oh, okay, you know, it's something to do. And I had no clue that it was going to be a trilogy. And I really got into it. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. This seems like it's going to be a really long movie when it gets to, like, the third act of the first film. And they're only, you know, like a quarter through the book. And then it ends. And I'm like, oh, bummer. <laughs> but I, I never really enjoyed Peter Jackson from those films. And then kind of, uh, you know, I found from sharing films with people and, uh, getting into all the weird, strange movies, I found Brain Dead or Dead Alive. I guess we'll use those synonymously. This whole discussion, and I watched it. I I loved it. I loved how you know gory and bonkers it was, and it just kind of fell into the canon ever since. So, Peter Jackson, I guess my question for you, Zach, is: Do you have any ins or behind the scenes knowledge of how, how do you go from something like Brain Dead? to dwarves doing dishes for 30 minutes in a Hobbit movie. How, how does that happen in somebody's career? <laughs> well, uh, I guess I should say first, and f I guess to answer your question, Peter Jackson has an interesting filmography. Mm -hmm. If you look at like the films he's directed over the years, like he started out with like really like, like fodder, like per like, like fertile ground for cinemonities. Like yeah. he's really like, the, like I know his first film is something called like The Valley that I've never heard of. It's a short film, but his first like feature like length film was Bad Taste, where apparently it's like aliens hunting humans on Earth to use for uh, fodder for like their fast food restaurants. <laughs> okay. And then uh, Meet the Feebles was a second film, which is kind of like a raunchy Sesame Street. It's on mm. it's on YouTube. I know I know uh, Dead Alive, Meet the Feebles. I haven't looked into Bad Taste yet. Are both on. YouTube, if you want to go watch them. Oh, okay. And um, again, you go and you go into Dead Alive, Heavenly Creatures, which was, I think that's the movie where it's like a lesbian teenage couple and their parents like split them up and so they murder their parents. Hmm. Which, which again, I think that was also like Kate Winslet's first film. Oh, interesting. And then you go to things like he did The Frighteners, which is when he really started to pop, or like Michael J. Fox is like, like a con artist Ghostbuster. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and then, like, okay, he was on the map at that. Like, that's when, like, he, like that was like, like a big studio picture. And ah. then it's like, okay, this guy can handle special effects. He can handle talent. And it was like, okay, this is. And then everybody forgets it was like Lord of the Rings. That was New Line. And New Line, even though like that at that point it was part of the, uh, like I think uh, Warner um, Warner Brothers, Time Warner, all that component. But they were still kind of like they would they would think outside the box. And, and mm -hmm. they don't get a lot of credit for that like nowadays because now they've been kind of completely assimilated with the corporate culture of Warner Brothers. But no, like back during that, like like the nineties and so, they really knew how to think outside the box. And this was somebody who clearly, well, back then knew how to think outside the box. Now he's just uh, Peter Jackson's kind of like, like kind of like a George Lucas. He's a broken shadow of what he once was. <laughs> but yeah, it's I can definitely see where you would pull like that's what used to happen in Hollywood. You'd hire a young guy who had like a great imagination, give him like like a nice amount of money, and say, "Go, go for it! Like we, we mm -hmm. like what you do. We're giving you, we're trusting you with this property, and go nuts." And nowadays that happens, and halfway through the audience does market research, and what the film they're currently making doesn't reflect the current or the, the market research wants, and it's like, "Oh, we got redo the entire thing and hire Joss Whedon to come fix it." Okay, and that's the problem. That that's and that's what Peter Jackson is. Peter Jackson's become the establishment, mm, and that's mm. why you see the thing where it's like it's like George Lucas. Like it's hard to believe that the guy who made THX eleven thirty eight would eventually go on to make Jar Jar Binks. Sure. Okay. And, that, so and that's it's what some, it is. The, it's that exact same thing. 
Okay, so some kind of uh, internal imaginative decaying or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not decaying. Maybe more of a, a transformation. Like it decays and manifests itself as something completely different. Well, it's that whole idea that like y- y- you have to be like if you want to be imaginative in Hollywood, you have to be perpetually outside the box. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the more time you spend there, they don't they don't like thinking outside the box in Hollywood. So you either have to learn to kind of partition those two. Or you're just get, you're gonna rub them the wrong way until eventually they just kind of chase you out. Okay, gotcha. Or you become so wildly successful that you can kind of dictate your own rules, which is kind of what happened to Peter Jackson. He has enough money now; he can kind of do. He's kind of in the same ballpark as a George Lucas and Jimmy C, where he can kind of do whatever he wants. And again, I guess you could say Peter Jackson is like a James Cameron too, in the sense of like starts off their career wildly imaginative, and then we're getting like six blue Smurf movies. <laughs> yeah. Like that's what happens. It's just like they fall into a like, like a creative. I don't want to say rut, but a comfort zone, and they don't want to leave it. And that's where you get things yeah. like Three Hobbit films. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's a bummer. That's you know Peter Jackson is in that position where you know he's got fame. He's a uh, you know renowned director, I guess, or acclaimed director. Um, but all he wants to do is make movies about Tolkien and World War One, right? <laughs> Isn't that the next thing he's doing is a World War One thing? Yeah, no, that came out, I think, last December. Oh, okay, that's out already. Okay, so isn't he, isn't he doing the Tolkien movie? Isn't there a movie about, like, Tolkien's life or something that he's going to be involved in? I don't know if he's involved. I know that came out already, but I don't think oh, he's involved okay. with it. Okay, if he <laughs> he's a silent partner somewhere, he, or he snuck onto set. <laughs> well, I'm looking at like his uh, filmography. He did a Richard Stanley where he wore uh, some some makeup and uh, cast himself as an extra. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, no, like looking at uh, like, like his filmography. The last film he directed was uh, "They Shall Not Grow Old," which is the World War One movie. Okay, okay, and the last thing he produced was uh, the greatest film ever made called "The Mortal Engines." Hey, Spider Shaw. Oh jeez, he he produced that really? Real? You didn't know that? That like on the marketing for that, like his name was like all over that. It's like oh from the, man, from from like the, it was kind of like what they did with Jimmy C and Alita Battle Angel. Like if you didn't know any better, you'd swear he's the one who directed that. Oh okay okay. No, I did not know that. I guess I haven't seen any of the marketing. I just Zach told me to like. Well, he didn't t- even tell me to watch Mortal Engines. He just gave it to me, and I watched it, and I just said Hester Shaw a bunch of times, and <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's all I remember. <laughs> I want on record that I still have not watched that film. Oh, God. It's out of this world. We'll have to get to it one day. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a failed blockbuster. We'll we'll get to that. That's kind of like Tomorrowland. I'll leave it this way. The moment we finally get to Tomorrowland, Mortal Engines will be the next one where it's just the perpetual. Like, we'll get to it. We don't know when, but we'll get to it. Yeah, one day we're going to have, or one month we'll get to the We'll Get To It series. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a fun idea for a series, the We'll Get To It series. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right on. Well, Peter Jackson, Mortal Engines. Um, maybe he does have some weird, strange imagination left, but too bad it's incomprehensible in that film. <laughs> well, I-, I wanted to ask you did you did you say when you first discovered this? Like, what do you know? What year? Um, so I believe the year I first discovered this. Um, it was in my undergrad. It had to have been two thousand eleven. Okay. So it- it's been for. F- I've known about it for a few years. Um, uh, I watched it once, and I and I really enjoyed it. And then there was another time I was um, under the influence, and I couldn't handle the gore. Like, I remember the gore was, like, really giving me a bad time, so I ran away from this movie once. Um, <laughs> but when I'm, you know, when, I, when I'm not under the influence, you know, that uh, I can handle it, it is pretty disgusting, though, I do have to say. But, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, eight years, seven, eight years I've known about this. Okay. All right. So my context with this, or the context with me around this, 
is I remember this was back like in 2000, like, like 2015, 2016, there was this website called, or it was a store if you live in the Midwest called like go, I think called Hastings, the website I think was called go Hastings. And they always had like fantastic sales on DVDs, Blu-rays, that sort of thing. Like Mm -hmm. my best score I ever got from them was the Friday the 1st, 13th blu-ray collection for like 50 dollars which now like goes for like four or five hundred dollars if you have a new one. Oh wow and, and i remember getting it didn't have a digital code but i didn't care but like, that was like my biggest score and so like, i'd always look for things this is before i like rob kind of introduced me to finding things that were hard to find through other means and it wasn't i know now dead alive's on youtube we should say that dead alive is on is on youtube in hd which is better <laughs> than the dvd quality that i have okay or, I, I mean dvd copy i have and so if you I, I before we get into this i encourage everybody go pause this episode go watch it on youtube we'll have a link to it it's it's phenomenal the quality that's on youtube right on so no so like i would like i try to track down a copy of it there's a blu-ray the blu-ray now goes for another like, i think it's another one of those titles that's like considered like the holy grail of like titles because like it never shows up on the secondhand market and mm. And so, like, I was looking for a DVD copy, and eventually it showed up, like, bought it. The It has to be a thing with, like, Hastings. Like, every single morning, I'd wake up and check my wish list to see, like, what titles were in stock, which ones weren't. Because all was always used stuff. It was you never needed new stuff from them. Uh, sadly, they went out of business a couple years ago. But I, that was one of the titles that like, I found. I bought it immediately because I kept hearing about it, but you couldn't really find any information about it except for a couple clips here and there. And so I got the DVD. I still have the the invoice with it. I checked it for this. I got it, I think, in like January of 2016. I've only watched this movie once prior than I did the viewing I had for this recording. Okay. And I had no memory of it besides it it being bonkers. Like I knew like it was like like just like a weird movie. Yeah. In a good way. But like I never really thought about it that much. Like I watched it once and got put Actually, it, put on, it got put on the shelf where I keep some of my most like highest acclaimed movies. Okay. <laughs> but I never thought of it that way. And so as I'm watching it for this recording, I, I remembered a couple like bit pieces, but nothing really. I, I could hardly remember anything about the movie. And as I'm watching it, I, I don't think I've ever fallen in love with a movie as much as I did during this. <laughs> right like, on. I am watching this. I'm like, this is, this is, this is perfect. Like, this is my soulmate. In the words of James Franco from Spring Breakers, I said, you're my motherfucking soulmate. I said that to this movie. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, it is. This it, movie I, is I my definitely, soulmate. Yeah, we, um, um, when the person who in, introduced me to it, uh, one of the guys I lived with in my undergrad, you know, he he loves it. It's his soulmate as well. Um, it, it was, it's a regular thing for still to this day, you know, however, however many years in the future. Whenever we see each other, we will scream, I kick ass for the Lord multiple times at each other. <laughs> I kick ass for the Lord. And yeah, that's and that's just what this is. Because like as I was watching it, I was very tempted to send Rob a message, being like, "Rob, we cannot waste this movie on on <laughs> the, the Pierce and the Mahdi series. This is a folks. I know we've talked about a couple of times. Like there's like the Hall of Fame like classification for Cinematis. There's the Clash of the Titan series that like we, we've talked about a couple of times. Mm-hmm. This like this would genuinely. I again, maybe it's just one of those things that's in the heat of the moment. But like this blows away elves which we still haven't talked about publicly on the podcast <laughs> this blows away freaked 
I don't, I'm not sure about Freddy Got Fingered. I have to go back and compare the two. Okay. But like, this is the only, I think I have to say this. This might be the only thing that I might put in the same regard, in a different vein, but in the same regard as Eraserhead is there's nothing quite like it. Yeah, I have to, um, I have to agree with you because, you know, to, to explain this movie to somebody who hasn't seen it, you know, I feel like you could fall in the trap of them thinking that it's just kind of another you know, gory, horror, splatter, zombie-type movie. But it's it's not. It, it, I think a big part, and I guess we have to maybe dive into this since, you know, Zach's saying something like, and I'm agreeing with him, that it's almost the purest of the pure cinemodities to a certain extent. I, I think a big part of why it's so pure of a cinemodity, not just the, the goofiness, not just the, um, the, the goriness and stuff like that, but the camera work. I feel like it's shot very goofily. Like, you know, how, how we zoom into people's faces and we get a lot of, like, weird, you know, angles on people's faces and reaction shots and stuff like that. That's something that, it's almost like an episode of Goosebumps to me. <laughs> That's what it gives me the vibe of, you know? Yeah, and a lot of that was done because they had, like, practical effects. Like, they, mm-hmm. like there's so much, like, just... I don't want again, like I don't want to say just gore because gore is not the right word. But they have like so much just stuff. And they, I think, but you dump a bunch of fluids on somebody. How do you do a take two on that? Yeah, like, like you can't like, yeah. like go like hose down your actors, like put them back into makeup for to do another take. So a lot of times they do close ups just so they because they couldn't do anything else. They couldn't reset the scene, okay. and that's why you had a lot of like it was kind of utilitarian filmmaking. And yes, you have that element of it, but the element that comes to me is just this sheer, just this thing is just bursting at the seams with creativity. Oh, absolutely. As I was watching this, I could not believe, like at certain points I'm like, oh, I, not that like, I I hate this is kind of like an expression like, oh, they went, I can't believe they went there. But (laughs) it was the whole idea of you have certain moments in this where it's like, oh, it's like, I can't believe that just happened. I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm pretty good at being like, okay, how do you improve a scene? I think at numerous times in this podcast, we'll be talking about like, how do you, like, we'll enhance a scene. Be like, oh, they did this though, but they could have brought it to, they could have brought it to like a higher level. Mm-hmm. As I was watching this, this is one of the few times I could not improve this in any way. Okay. Like, yeah, like, I have th- to, I have to agree. Um, I will never forget the first time I watched this and the zombie baby like is born and I'm like, oh wow, okay. And then, <laughs> and then, then like the next scene, it just, I, my jaw physically dropped when it's him with the zombie baby in the perambulator, you know, at the park with the other mothers. Like that, I, I will never forget my reaction because it's exactly like you said. It's like I cannot believe they did that. <laughs> well, even like okay, because this is another one of those times, folks. I don't know how we're. It's gonna be. This is gonna be a cat in the hat <laughs> level discussion where it's just. We should talk about if we had enough time, we'd talk about literally every scene in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know how we're gonna do that and keep it under like eight hours long. <laughs> like in a way, this movie could be its own series. I feel. Like. I feel we could have devoted four episodes to this. Oh and yeah. Being like yeah. there's so many list layers to this because like okay in, in the baby scene. Oh god, it's hard to say there's a best scene in this because I don't think there is. I think all the scenes are the best scenes. <laughs> but the baby scene, like Rob's like, oh, there's a scene with the baby, and like the baby's there, then he takes the baby to the park. Getting to that is just a journey in and of itself. Like the baby, oh, yeah. the baby in the park is its own like masterpiece. Like, if this was any other movie, that'd be the highlight mm-hmm. of the entire film. 
How we <laughs> but it get is it there. is preceded by you know the whole he's taking care of these four zombies and, well, they're, they're, and they're having sex at the table. Well, again, he's not okay. This, this is this is this is. What's the movie with the? Oh, this is like elves all over again. He's ruining it by saying the incest again. He's he's giving it away by saying incest in the first ten minutes of the recording. No, what this is is like again. Okay, breakdown of the plot. I guess our main character is Lionel. He or Lionel. He sits there, lives in. I guess it's what nineteen. 40s or 50s or 60s New Zealand? I think it's the the 50s, yeah. 1950s New Zealand. He's kind of like a mama's boy. He, like, takes care of his mother. His mother is very, very overbearing. We have our female protagonist named Paquita. She's got a chin. She has a huge chin. Did you you have any thoughts on her chins? (laughs) I did not even pick up on that. Oh, I, I think for I, it might have been because of the people I watched it with. You know, it was just some reason her chin is always stuck out to us. <laughs> I pardon the pun, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I have not picked up on her chin. But to be fair, I've only watched this movie twice. In all honesty, if that's the part you pick up on, you're not doing this movie right. <laughs> uh, but no, Paquita works at the corner store. She she they have kind of like uh, what would you call it? There's a term for it in cinematic. There's a cinematic term for it, but I can't think of it right now. Where they cross paths, they 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 interact with each other. They go on a date. They come across a Sumatran rat monkey. Mm-hmm. Sumatran rat monkey infects the mother, who's like spying on Lionel and Paquita's date. Yep. The mother gets sick. The mother the mother infects kills it. the Sumatran rat monkey. <laughs> we'll get to that because so. The mother gets sick. Mother infects a bunch of people. Lionel then feels compelled to take care of his uh, sick mother, along with the other people that have been infected by her. All hell breaks loose. The the his uncle, the mother's brother, comes into the picture, tries to extort Lionel for being some sort of sick pervert for say, like, trying to like like have all these corpses in the basement. There's a party. Hell breaks loose even further to a point that maybe you wouldn't even think would be possible. They save the day. End of movie? Yeah, basically. It just it <laughs> <Is> ends. That, <laughs> in a nutshell? Yeah, they uh, you know, they um they they fight off the zombies and then the fire department shows up and they walk into the distance covered in a bunch of purified or liquefied blood and stuff like that. And or, liquefied, human. Li- <laughs> yeah. liquefied human remains. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of, this is the best synopsis you can give without like delving into specifics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so. Because there's just, just even thinking about that though, there's like, I, I guess in a way, Rob, do we want to pick like maybe like our top five favorite scenes? Cause I would imagine like there's probably gonna be some nice overlap. But maybe do it that way because I just there's just I don't know where to begin. I I feel like this is a cat in a hat where I'm going to be watching it much like I did during Cat in a Hat, just be picking up on things and being <laughs> like, oh no, how can we not talk about that sequence? Twenty sure. minute uh, diversion. So like, I, okay, what what mo? I guess what moments do you stand out the most? Okay, so one I definitely want to talk about uh, is earlier in the movie. It's it's probably the one I've always found to be the funniest. And it's the scene with the um, the the Methersons or whatever the the people the couple from the WLWL the wo- Women's Lady Welfare League or something like that, and so they sh- these people show up. This is I think the day after or maybe two days after the um, 
The mother gets bitten by the Sumatran, Sumatran rat monkey. She's not doing too well. You know, she's shaking. She has that giant wound on her arm that's just like shooting, like violently shooting blood and, and pus from it. And uh, Lionel wants to send the people away for another time because the mother's not well, but the mother is just determined to, I guess, feed these people. I thought more was going to have to be done with these people from the WLWL, but they just have lunch or something. <laughs> well, she's trying to, sh- it's schmoozing them. She has yeah, to schmooze yeah. them. Yeah, I thought, you know, there was going to be more where you'd show them around the house and stuff. But no, we just get that, that um, they're all at the dinner table and the the mother is shaking uncontrollably. And she's like, you know, just repeating the things that are being said um, by the woman to her. And just that whole scene, I, I love the way it plays out. It's so, you know, the humor is just hits the nail on the head for me especially when you know the mother's repeating stuff and shaking the woman from the wlwl is saying things to her and then there's a lull in the conversation and the guy just slams his fist on the table and goes what we need is another war main objective next year is to uh, try to get some of the younger generation involved in the league. That's why I'm so pleased that you're on the committee, Vera. Thank you, Nora. It's a great honour. Have you had any thoughts on the agenda for the annual meeting? Annual meeting? And you're meeting What we need is another war. Yes, dear. <laughs> Just that whole, and then of course, you know, we get some bloody custard. That's probably going to have to come up when we talk about snacks. But oh, that there's that so many snacks. Always funny. Oh yeah, definitely. This is a, a very food-oriented movie. <laughs> But yeah, that's, I think that scene is just always stuck out to me for being the funniest, or at least, you know, it's something that definitely makes me laugh every time I watch it. Yeah, like that's, and I didn't like how that scene begins with like the mother's like in bed, like waking up and part of her skin starts to peel off and he goes and gets like the super glue <laughs> out of the yep. drawer and so- and he's like like it's like the most realistic bottle of like super glue you've ever seen in the movie where it's like caked at the top and he's like it has it looks like it's been in the drawer for like 10 years and he's like yep. dotting it like on the inner part of her flesh for her cheek and he's like don't move or else it'll wrinkle while i put it on and it's like <laughs> oh like it's just like that sort of stuff it's like it's the small details and then even like you said going to the actual like dinner it's or the the lunch of this, like yes, you have the part with, like like the pulsating like wound, but even like where you have the husband and wife that are there for the the luncheon, and the wife is like watching the mother and her just like, oh god, she, she's just starting to fall apart, and mm-hmm. yet the, the husband's just sitting there eating, just eating with no problem, and Lionel's just sitting there kind of just watching this woman, and you have all these things kind of just going on where like Lionel's like, take my beans. Take my beams, ma'am. Yep. And it's like like that those sort of small details. Like, yes, they're not the highlights of the sequence, but the fact that like having a man eat like bloody pus-filled pudding 
Like, like <laughs> you think that would just suck the air out of the room in any other movie? Yet you have these small other details just punctuating the corners of that sequence, and I'm like, and yet it's not just that because it goes on, and you have her ear fall into the pudding, and she starts to eat the ear, then yep. she spits out the earring. <laughs> Yep, yep, oh yeah. If this was any other movie, this would be the the highlight. Like, we think about movies in the same vein. Like, we talked about, like, last week, Nothing But Trouble. It's like, you have the dinner sequence with the train, the -hmm. train condiment thing, and the wieners, and the penis nose. Like, that, like, Nothing But Troubles has one sequence. Like, Annihilation. Has one one or two sequences. Mm Mm-hmm. Under the Skin has one or two. This movie is just like home run after home run of yep. just like I not again. I can't believe that, or I can't believe that just happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's in a weird way. This movie, like I know, this is kind of another hallmark of cinematics. Is like how how are movies not appreciated or the underappreciated movie podcast? Mm-hmm. But this is another example of that, like where how is this not being taught in film schools? <laughs> how is this not part of every like if you want to make a movie, how is this not part of the curriculum? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that it gets more attention now since Peter Jackson has done Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and stuff. But is this is this like a fairly well-known cult film? Would you say, Zach? Yes, it is. OK, OK. But it's still. It's not, and well, okay, we have a weird sort of like dual edge here where you don't know what's causing it to be kind of like, I don't want to say repressed, but mm-hmm. I found an article because at first, because I know they released the Blu ray like, like back like in 2011 or so, somewhere around there. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if this film got like, like a Blu ray release, maybe like internationally. Maybe this is like one of those things where the rights are just kind of. Uh, everybody owns a certain piece of it depending on the territory. Sure. That happens a lot with like movies. I remember like back in like the early 2010s, like Eraserhead was like that, where like certain different people were licensing that film to do like HD like remasters of it. And then like they can only like release it like in Australia or Europe. So okay. unless you had like a region free like Blu-ray player, you were you had you were stuck with whatever like DVD was currently available. And so I looked into this and there is really no even like foreign blu-ray of this we're like again like an australian remaster or i thought maybe even like new zealand because that's where peter jackson like kind of hails from mm-hmm. and i looked and he wrote he he was interviewed for an article i guess in relation to mortal engines this is from december of 2018 and it's titled I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes peter jackson returns to his quote naughty years with restoration of gory early films and apparently what it is is that Peter Jackson owns the rights to all these films like Meet the Feebles, uh, Bad Taste, Dead Alive. And people have – he claims in the article people have come to him being like they want to license the film for a restoration, and he refuses to allow them to do it because he wants to be the one who does it. Okay. And he says even in this article – it's worth reading – that for his uh, They Shall Not Grow Old documentary, they, they took like – Old, like really kind of crappy World War One photos and remastered them, or like really touched them up fantastically. Mm-hmm. He's going to apply that same sort of technology to his films, his early Ooh. films. So maybe we'll eventually get that. But I think this is a movie that has no hype for it. For two, I don't want to say no hype. I don't mean that. But like I've said numerous times in the series, like people know Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Yeah, yeah. and yes, that story has definitely a layer to it that most. Uh, uh, cult classics will never have because you have the eccentricities of Tommy Wiseau, 
Mm-hmm. But like the room is fun because of how incompetent it is. This movie's a masterpiece considering what it, it accomplishes with so little resources. Definitely, yeah. And that's and that's what it is. Because I know I've, I've people do talk about this movie. There is a following for it, but it's just for a movie that's available for in really good quality for free on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It does not have the following that it should. Okay. Okay. Right on. Yeah, it definitely deserves more attention than uh, I've I heard of it. I have heard from other people, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those movies that like I would like much like we joked. I think it was in the Freaked episode. As you leave, you get like a copy of Freaked on DVD. Yeah, we ba- we basically we rent out a billboard in Times Square where this is playing twenty four hours a day. <laughs> that's that's our Times Square billboard for the Cinemati's restaurant. It just there's no advertisements for the restaurant. It just plays this twenty four seven. Okay, okay. I like that. Some some weird viral marketing, yeah. <laughs> Going back to the actual film itself, there's like it's I thought this was weird while watching. Cause like I said, I didn't remember much of the movie while I was watching it. And for the first like 15 minutes, there really isn't that much we- like yes, the first like 5 minutes something we have we have some gore. But for the first like 15 minutes, there isn't much like crazy going on. No, no, the, the setup is done, you know, pretty normally, I should say. I guess if you want to consider normal being, you know, Paquita's looking for love in her job and she's getting advice from her, you know, tarot card reading grandmother. Yeah, because, like, even as you're watching this, you're like, oh, wow, like, they're doing a really great job of lulling you into a false sense of security. Yeah, that's a good way is, to put it. Which is one thing I absolutely love with movies. I love it when movies kind of, like, slowly turn on, like, the crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate it when we start off crazy. I do not like that. Or, like, or like where you sense something's really, like, again, going back to Annihilation, it's the idea of, like, oh, something's, like, something's really, like, wrong here. It's like, oh, Oscar Isaac walks up the stairs. And, you know, that works in the movie. It's like, you know something. There's, like, this almost sense of dread. Yeah. Like permeating throughout Annihilation. There's nothing, there's no sense of dread in this movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, because the, the very intro, like you said, with a little bit of gore, that's how they get the Sumatran rat monkey. And then it kind of disappears, you know. It's like almost you can forget about it until they end up going to the zoo and, and they just happen to encounter it. That's the thing. It's like I, this movie, it's a, it, mo- it plays all of its gags, its plot very straight. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very campy movie, but it plays its camp straight. Definitely, and that's where I'm going back to what you're asking whether this film has any sort of notoriety. As I was watching this, I'm like, yes, because this was obviously made in '92. You you had most of your your '80s horror gore stuff was was out the door by this point. But like, I could see that like, clearly Peter Jackson was inspired by things like Evil Dead, mm-hmm, th- mm-hmm. those sort of films where you have like the like. The gore to a comical sense, where like it stops being like a uh, what do you want to call it? I don't want to say fright, but disturbing. It stops being disturbing. It becomes comical. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's kind of like my best example of this is kind of like the ending of like, or I guess mainstream example is something like Freddy versus Jason. Because by the end, like they are like there is so much gore in that film, but it's just so comically over the top. It stops being like disturbing. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is like. Yes, it is a very, very gory film, but it's comical because it's just it's it's so over the top that you can't take it seriously. But the movie takes it seriously. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I think that's the thing that, I, as I was watching this, I couldn't really kind of wrap my head around is that th- like we live in a culture 
that even though I think it's deserved, like that celebrates Evil Dead Two, yet ignores this. Hmm. That's I, yeah. I cannot, in good faith, recommend Evil Dead Two over this. And the fact that people do is shocking. And yes, Lionel is no Bruce Campbell, but <laughs> but he's he's playing his role just fine. Like he's like he's. I mean, yes, Bruce Campbell went on to like made Ash an institution, but. It, Lionel's doing everything he's supposed to as a character. Yeah, yeah, he's a good hero. Yeah, he's not Natalie Portman in Annihilation, just kind of like sto- stoically stumbling through the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where, again, it's it's weird that this movie does not like in a world where we we put Evil Dead Two on the pedestal, and yet this is available for free on YouTube. Yeah, it's a bummer because <laughs> nobody's policing it. Which, is, like, in a way, like, like I'm glad that it's it's readily accessible. You don't have to like wait for like a secondhand DVD to show up on like show up one day mm-hmm. on like uh, some website. But at the same time, though, it's like, oh man, like it's it's the tragedy of the commons. It's like this leaving something in like a free space means it has no value. Yeah, and that's what's disappointing about like its place in the culture currently. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I agree. But but going back to the film itself, as I again, we I, I okay because I don't want to delve too much into the 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 best well I consider the best sequence in the entire film. Okay, is that is that like we go like going back to the like we have the 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 cemetery oh god the funeral we sure. have we have this or even like we have that they're pumping the mother's corpse with formaldehyde and it literally starts like bursting out of her every organ yeah. she has. And we have moments in that, like, even, like, with the mortician has to, like, like bop the eyes back into the eye sockets. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess we should say this scene, it's not even, I can't even say this scene in particular. It really is the whole movie. The um, the sound effects in this movie, even the score, it's very all, you know, it's jovial, it's light almost. And, and it just adds to that goofiness. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that gets what this movie is. It really is. It's goofy, but it's goofy played straight. Like, it's not this... Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, I have to go back. To, I, I know this is why I always go back to, but it's kind of like a, like a James Gunn thing where it's like, oh, we have a talking tree man in a raccoon. Isn't this crazy? Mm-hmm. It's like, there's no moment in this where any of the characters ref- like openly reflect on how just the, the sheer insanity they're going through. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, even like in that scene where, you know, the mother's body erupts with the formaldehyde, we kind of get to see it because Lionel's in there trying to stick her in the nose with a needle full of sedative or tranquilizer to keep her sedated before she can be buried. Like it is, it is just insanity, but you know, it's just Lionel's like, this is what I have to do. I have to take care of my mother. And you know, this is just what that movie, the movie is. <laughs> yeah. Cause I can, I can, any other movie, because we, at numerous points, this we see the the husband of the woman of the woman from the WWFLA, whoever whoever the organization is, mm-hmm. and like you, he'd be the kind of character in this that would be like the Dwight of the Office. He'd be always commenting on like you always have to have that one character that somehow is aware of just how kooky everything is. Yeah, yeah. And and concerning this was the '90s, and we were starting to get into that kind of like. Hipster ironic, even though it was like the, the 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 fringes of the very beginning of that sort of mindset. The fact that we don't have a single moment in this where anybody is like consciously aware of just like what's going on, because yeah. like numerous times in this, Lionel's like described as like a, I think it's what the uh, the doctor 
like punches him in the face when like uh Paquita is like chasing him down the street and it's like he, you're that everybody in town's talking about what kind of sick pervert you are. Yeah, and that's yeah. what it is. It's like, oh, he's just being like they're looking at him as some sort of like weird I don't want to say necrophilia because he's not I don't think anyone's saying he's having sex with the bodies, but he's like obsessed with the is there a term for that? Like obsessed with the dead? It's like uh I would imagine like a I don't want to say necromancer because that's not the right word either. Yeah, yeah. There's probably some word for it. Necrofanatic, yeah. like necrofanatic. Maybe there's a, maybe that's a term for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Necrophile. Necro- <laughs> yeah, necrophile. Yeah, something like that. Because like we have the funeral service where he actually crashes through like a stained glass window with the <laughs> mother's corpse, and everybody's just like, "Well, that just happened." <laughs> like it's like we kind of like, "Can you believe what this is kind of like devolving into?" Mm-hmm. And then and then he goes to the the, the cemetery. To dig up his mother's remains, and he he encounters like a fifties greaser biker gang. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and another one of the more inexplicable moments of this movie, yet somehow works. I guess we should say that everything in this movie works. Mm-hmm, definitely. There's, there's nothing in this that feels like, oh, where'd that go? Or oh, why'd that just happen? Yeah, there's, there's no moment in this where we have like, oh, in annihilation where they're looking at the, the camcorder and they just turn it off all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There, there's no moment. There's no. There's not a single moment in this movie because we have a moment in this. And, and Rob can tell you, I'm not making this up. <laughs> Lionel's trying to dig up his mother's grave in order to give her more tranquilizer. A bunch of greasers like confront him. They start beating him up, being like, "What are you doing in the cemetery, you weird freak?" One of them starts to piss on his mother's grave. The mother erupts out of the grave, like rips the guy's junk off, yep. and then like <laughs> thrust him into the air. And then the mother, because like at that point, like all the greasers are like all like kind of like running away, being like, run away. The priest from earlier during the cemetery like, burial sequence comes out and it's like, what is going on here? As the mother continues to like, like just run around the cemetery, the priest starts to beat up the greasers. <laughs> yeah, and he says the fantastic line, "I kick ass for the Lord." <laughs> I kick ass for the Lord. <laughs> and while this is happening, the, the the priest isn't just wearing like the normal attire; he's wearing like satin. Like purple pajamas. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and this continues to go on until eventually we get the mo- where again Lionel eventually tranquilizes the, the the mother and the priest the whole time is not overwhelmed by the greasers. He's holding his own. Mm-hmm. It's not until the mother eventually gets to him, right? I think something with the mother, I think uh, the mother turns the, the initial greaser into, or the, the initial greaser that, you know, peed on the grave gets turned into a zombie. And then he fights, he's fighting the greasers, the priest, I think he f- starts to fight off the zombie. And there's something where he like, he punches the, zo- kicks the zombie away, but s- something like the mother falls on him or something like that. He gets bitten oh, okay. from behind or something okay. like that. Yeah. Ha- okay, I'm watching it. Because again, the sheer insanity of this, <laughs> what happens is... The priest kick like literally like kicks the head off one of the zombies. The head, the decapitated head goes flying into the air, bites him on the shoulder, and then one of the other greasers who's a zombie like kicks him and he flies into the air and gets impaled by one of the like gravestone markers. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
Like, that's a thing that just happened in this movie, folks. <laughs> Perspective. Baseline. And, and oddly enough, in this, like, 10-minute, mo- ten minute like, sequence of this movie, that's not the strangest thing to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing I got to give this movie credit for, too, is that, like, a lot of movies kind of, like, not to use a crude term, but kind of, like, blow their wad mm-hmm. yep. halfway through. And it's like, oh... Where do we like that was great, but where do we go from here? <laughs> and this movie somehow keeps topping itself. Yeah, they knew the, that the next natural step was um, for him to feed the zombies food with tranquilizer in it. <laughs> <laughs> because like even like to describe the next scene, this is the very next scene after the graveyard sequence. But we have to rewind a little bit. And we'll get back to the the lunch the luncheon with the zombies. Okay. Is that when the mother is like like the mother like right after the sequence where we have dinner with the women's guild woman and her husband, the mother like Paquita shows up right like right after that sequence Paquita shows up. Yeah, when the um when the people are leaving and the mother is getting sick, so and then they call the nurse right. Yeah, because well, that's what happens is that the, the they she Paquita shows up. The mother like falls down the stairs with Lionel. Uh, he says, "Call the nurse." The nurse or the doctor, the nurse doctor shows up, and while that happens, the mother becomes like, like one of the first few times is like the full blown zombie. And what she does, she throws some sort of what what would you even call it? Like a like like a. I don't think it's Lionel throws it at the nurse, but I'm not even sure what it is. It's like almost like a throwing star. Yeah, it's like I think it's like a some type of wall decoration wall in the shape of a bird yeah. or like an ornament type of thing. Yeah, because the nurse gets bitten by the mother, becomes a, a, a zombie. Lionel throws it at the at the head of the nurse. Yeah, it's like some sort of yeah, like ornamentation for the walls. Throws mm-hmm. it at the nurse's head and causes it to like her to become decapitated. But she, her head is still like slightly attached to her neck. Yeah, it like flaps open her neck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, imagine like a Pez dispenser that can bend over entirely backwards. Perfect way to put it. Yep. <laughs> Going back to the the zombie luncheon right after the, the the cemetery sequence, we go there, and I guess it should be pointed out that this 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 sequence takes place in broad daylight. If this was oh, yeah. any other any other movie, it, this would be happening. In the dark Like this would be happening like at night Like in the dust there'd be shadows Like all all the windows would be blacked out He feeds the four zombies That he for some reason he feels compelled to take care of Which include his mother One of the greaser bikers <laughs> The nurse which still has the bird ornamentation Embedded in her forehead And the priest Yeah, <laughs> And he, he starts feeding them Like I don't even know what it is It's like it's some sort of slop Yeah I I, I it's looks like very similar in color and consistency to the custard that was um, given to the uh, the Women's League people. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was leftover custard or something. I, originally, I thought it was like eggs or something like that. Yeah, like, <laughs> it, it, even like almost like a macaroni and cheese. Like, it, has, it, has, yeah. like, it has chunks in it. I guess we should point that out. It has chunks in it. Yeah. So he starts feeding them it, and the mother and the, and the, mother and the priest are like eating it up. And then... The nurse eats it because she has a severed like neck. She eats it. And it goes like and it starts like like smushing and pouring out of her neck hole or yep. neck neck wound. And as Lionel goes to take care of her, he's like, and, and, and this is and it's not zoomed out or done from a distance. We get close ups of this. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, it's pretty watching, gross. <laughs> oh, no, it's fantastic. It's not gross. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. And as this is going on, he's like, oh, no, he races over to go take care of, like, the nurse. The, the greaser takes a spoonful of the slop has a spoon and literally shoves it into his mouth so far that the spoon with the food still on it pokes out the back of his head. Yeah. <laughs> Again, folks, masterpiece. As the, And he starts like choking on the spoon. Then we cut back to the nurse. Lionel props the, the nurse's neck open, like, like head backwards, and starts spooning the food into her neck hole. Mm-hmm. Masterpiece. And as we go, then like this is all happening in a matter of a couple of seconds. The camera then cuts back to the greaser with the, the spoon protruding from the back of his head as the mother grabs the food that's still there and eats it. Yeah. Then we see the greaser pounding on the table because he's mad that the mother ate his food. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that always gets a good laugh from me when she steals the food. <laughs> this movie, and like I said, and like that's just a brief glimpse. Like I cannot. I'm going to stop talking because I cannot continue to do this justice. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is. It is definitely something you have to see. You know, to believe and to experience <laughs> fully. Like this um, is like the word that comes to mind is genius. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's kind of you know. Um, the like we said already, the creativity and just the sheer, you know, how how does this, you know, get thought of and, and put together in such a fantastic way? It's 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 amazing. It's unbelievable almost. I couldn't say I, I couldn't even ponder being this creative. <laughs> Never mind putting this all together and making it happen and then having it work the way it does in the film. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's the biggest kind of, you know. Uh, shock of the whole thing is none of, none of the you know gore or the effects that we get to see, but more the fact that you know that it actually came together well. Yeah, and like and yet there's it's coherent. Yeah, like yeah. it's nonsensical yet coherent. And a lot of people these days will like go to something and not to go back to Avengers Endgame, but like that final like 15, 20 minutes where it's just like vomiting of superheroes on the screen mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you look at that film and i think i know rob and i picked up on it i know if people have now is that in the film during the final battle sequence of endgame there's a continuity error because if you think back uh remember the whole thing with like ant-man and wasp or in like the van with the teleportation tunnel or the, sure. the tunnel during that sequence they're there and then like Two minutes later, while they're still supposed to be there, Ant-Man's like behind the enemy lines doing something. He can't be like, there's a continuity error. He should oh, okay. be there. And think about it, Avengers Endgame is like a $300 million blockbuster that think about, had to be viewed countless times by different committees to sign off on it. Yet they still left a glaring continuity error in the film that mm -hmm. people spotted in their first viewing. Yeah. Peter Jackson makes Dead Alive. In, 2000, in 1992, with all these practical effects where so many things can go wrong, where so many things can kind of look out of order or look just like just uh, things that can go wrong, and he doesn't have one of them. Yeah, with a, yeah. With a three million dollar budget in practical, with a like a like to say maybe even like a fraction of the resources that Marvel and Disney have is able to string the string together a sequence better than the three hundred million dollar film produced by a multi billion dollar multinational <laughs> corporation can. Yeah, like, yeah. like that's the thing. People look at this and be like, "Oh, it's gory." Dismiss it out of sight. Mm, mm -hmm. It's like, no, this film is beyond that because it's not gory. This isn't just. This isn't a like a a what they call it a um, oh god, uh, a snuff film. This isn't just sure. like smut for the sake of smut. 
This is there's a brilliance to this that you don't ever get to see. Yeah, definitely. It's beautiful. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's 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 a work of art that's unparalleled. <laughs> so also in the um the zombie lunch scene, uh we have to say that we get the beginning to the 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 zombie romance subplot that our nurse zombie and our priest zombie love each other to some extent. <laughs> I I I'm gl- I want to highlight that, but I don't want to give too much detail. I want I want our viewers because I pray to God, Emily, Porg Knight, everybody who the person on Podbean that tells Robbie loves him every single week. <laughs> I I want you to I want you to uh, experience this by yourself for the first time. Okay. I, I, like I, that's one where I feel I cannot get. That is kind of like the incest in elves or the reveal of that. I don't <laughs> want to give that away. It's it's such a it's such a out of left field. Oh god, moment. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I I want some things to still be not secret, but preserved for the initial viewing experience. Cause I okay. completely forgot about that. Cause I, like I'm watching this unfold. I'm like, Oh my God, where's like, and the thing too, is that it's just every single sequence, every moment is just evolving into something just crazier and loonier. I think maybe loony is maybe the best way to describe. I know I say Gonzo a lot. This yeah. movie is loony. <laughs> it really, it, it's like a cartoon come to life. And when that moment evolves, like you said, the love between the, uh, the the priest and the nurse that was like oh my god and the fact that what that eventually leads to later in the film yep yep <laughs> and that's where it's just like like not to repeat myself but like it's beyond comprehension mhm mhm i will i will say um yeah you should you should watch this and experience all the glory but i will say that this is probably my favorite romantic subplot of any movie <laughs> it's one that i actually cared about where usually i'm like oh come on you know this is what i was hundred percent behind. <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, it's 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 perfect, folks. Like it's it's you're watching. The best part is like even if we probably delved into it, if you're watching this movie and you're not expecting it, it there's no expecting that sequ- that moment. Yeah, there's no, okay, yeah. And, there, and considering that what that portion of the film births, both literally and uh, <laughs> figuratively. Yeah. It's 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 shocking. Like it's such an important plot point later on in the film. Yet it's done in a way that's like that's the thing too. Like nothing in this film feels arbitrary in the sense that like oh there's a zombie baby. Like it's because you think after a while it'd be like oh like like I don't know Lionel's in the park with something and somehow like a baby gets bit. Oh zombie baby like Mm -hmm. zombie baby. There we go. No one would think to to introduce that element into the film the way it's done in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing really, like you said, nothing, nothing feels arbitrary. Everything, you know, has some type of setup and payoff, and it's, it's, uh, you know, well written. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's all I can say. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. And so I think uh, we get a after that we get some few scenes with this basically the setup um, for the uncle trying to you know get the house, get the inheritance type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything you wanted to comment on before we get to really the party, which is when you know all hell breaks loose? Uh, I'm trying to think because like I, I guess one sequence, and not to jump back, but when Lionel gets the the tranquilizer. Oh, with the crazy doctor. Okay. Well, again, not just the crazy doctor. He goes to like a veterinarian, which I didn't even know if it was a veterinarian, if it was like a taxidermist, 
And mm-hmm. he goes there, and it's like, again, veterinary doctor, who knows? And he's like, I need some sedatives. And he's talking, you don't know at the time, but like inexplicably, he's talking in a German accent. What do you want? You're not from the immigration. I told you, people, I lost my bloody papers, okay? My family left Latvia during the occupation. We were like dogs. I just want to buy some sedatives. What do you think I am? A goddamn doctor? I don't sell sedatives. Tranquilizers. I do have. But not for the general public. Lucky for you, your Uncle Heinrich's a pretty good joker, huh? And it's like, oh boy, I do not offer sedatives here. It's tranquilizers. <laughs> yeah. And you're yeah. watching this, and he like in this character is like and Lionel's kind of like really like he's sweating profusely, he's like tugging at his collar. And it's like, like oh, whatever, I just need it. And he's like, and obviously the, this doctor's going through his little spiel. And he, he keeps like just like rambling and having like these little like schizophrenic kind of like little rants where he's okay. like, like, he's like almost like talking to nobody. And you're like, what is going on? And then we <laughs> see like under his doctor's like white coat, part of it, the sleeve is like torn and he has a red Nazi SS band. Yep. <laughs> and it's like, of course the veterinarian's a former Nazi. Why wouldn't he be? And again, it's those small moments that are just like punctuated, like intermongst the like the big set pieces, like the luncheon, like yeah. the final battle, or whatever you want to call it, the the the, the party. That you're like, oh, like, again, those are the parts where you have like anybody can do like crazy set like sequences. Mm-hmm. Anybody can do that when you really think about it, though. But you need those small moments that like bind the whole film together. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Speaking of small moment, I like when um, what Paquita and the other guy are like out, and uh, Lionel runs into them or something. And before, like they runs into him, like the guy is just talking about uh, him playing rugby or something like that. And then the next time we see him, he's still talking about him playing <laughs> rugby. And I think there's even maybe one more time. It's either two or three, but I like that. You know, that small little touch where it's like, okay, this you know, this this guy is not a full character, but we have everything we could possibly want and need to know about him from that. But I think what it is, too, is that, like, even small characters get character development. But it's the idea of playing, like, like because that's that's the doctor that Paquita originally likes. Mm. And, like you said, there's three, I'm pretty sure there's three moments. I know there's definitely two. Is the first time we see him is that, like, he punches Lionel in the street. And even that gag's hilarious, where, like, Paquita sees him across the street with, like, the, ju- like, the jug of tranquilizer. She's like, Lionel! And, he, like, yeah. and, like, the trolley comes by, and he disappears. And the trolley disappears. And then it's like, oh... And like we see like a parked car and the car pulls away. He's still, he's, he's crouching behind it, hoping she's already went back into the corner store. Yep. <laughs> and then like, she confronts him and then like the doctor comes over and like punches him. And it's like, get out of here. You weird creep. 
Like we all know in town, like, like what you're doing in, in town. And mm-hmm. then like he goes and like puts his arm around Paquita. It's like, did I ever tell you about that time when I scored the winning goal? And then like <laughs> it's there. And then Lionel sees her around like a few minutes later. Like she's on a date with this guy, and he has his arm around her, and he's basically telling her the same story but a different part of it. Yep. And then it's like another like five minutes later, because it's the date's going on now still, and he's still telling her the story, showing just how how shallow he is. Like yes, he's a doctor. Yep. But it's playing into the strengths of just like the doctor character is not meant to be a full, fully rounded character. Yet by giving, like, by giving, but like, you're playing into just how limited his screen time can be for the film to work by making he's a shallow character. So let's make him a literal shallow character in the sense of like he's he he only has one thing you can talk about. Yeah, there's no depth. Ah. The character can't have any depth, so the character won't have any depth in, in the context of the film, and that's the sort of brilliance of this. Beyond just the again, it's that creativity that goes beyond just having uh, a zombie baby. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. playing into every strength of the film, which is again, like Evil Dead Two is great. It has moments like this, but like you watch Evil Dead Two, and like the female protagonist and the other characters have no moments like that. Yep, they're just they're just yep. like like and I don't even think the doctor comes back because you're kind of watching this and you figure oh he's gonna be like zombie fodder later in the film. Mm-hmm. He never comes back. No, I think uh, we get that shot where he's telling the same story and Paquita sees that um, the party is going on in in Lionel's house and so she just kind of leaves him and to go to the house and he looks up from his story and realizes she's gone and shrugs his shoulders and walks away. <laughs> walks yeah, out exactly. Of the movie. <laughs> and that even kind of goes with the, uh, the husband of the woman's league person where like he eats the pus bloody pudding. And you figure, Oh, but he's going to become a zombie. Yeah, yeah. Nope. He's, he's at the, he's at the funeral and then he more or less disappears the rest of the film. Yep. And, yep. And, and, and with any other movie that would feel like an oversight with this, it's just like, Nope, the character's just not relevant anymore. <laughs> yeah, we have more important things to focus on. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's like, like we're not going to waste our energy on tying up loose ends. And not gonna have a, we're not going to tie up loose ends for the sake of tying up loose ends. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you a zombie that gets like punched onto a light bulb and then glows for the rest <laughs> of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> we're giving you the things that matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess I, I think we've been saying it, but, you know, to, to say it explicitly, you know, this movie is definitely, you know, well-paced, it's a lean, mean zombie machine. It's uh, it's great. It keeps you going. I'm not being hyperbolic when I say this, though, but this is a genuinely perfect movie. <laughs> it right does. On. There's not. There's like I can't think of one way you could criticize, like fairly criticize. Like, yes. Could like the Sumatran rat monkey look better? Sure. They could make do a like. Tim Burton, Henry Sel, or was it Harry or Hel- Henry Sel? What's his name? H- Harry Hel- Henry Selnick, whoever it is, the guy who really directed Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, like, okay. yeah, yeah. Could they have done more refined stop motion for the '90s? Sure, you can criticize certain aspects of this if you really want to, though. But mm-hmm. in what this movie is trying to get across, there's there's no way to improve it. Yeah, gotcha. Yep. I have so, to agree. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it is a perfect film. To the point where I'm watching this, and I was kind of like getting frustrated while watching it. I'm like, why do more people not know about this? I'm like, <laughs> this is one of those movies, and this was why we're going to have a Times Square billboard playing this 24-7. This is one of those things where it's just like, it makes me angry. Like, when you see, like, like, like horror aficionados, like, talking about, like, here's, like, when you see those stupid, like, watch mojo lists on YouTube, like, top 10 best horror movies of the 1990s, and I'll have, like, like, 
oh god, Scream is number two, and what? I, I, that's the thing too. Like, or like Wes Craven's New Nightmare is number one. It's like, folks, Wes Craven's New Nightmare is great. It's like like a subversion of like ninety or like eighties horror slasher movie genre. It mm-hmm. does not hold a candle to this. <laughs> Scream does not hold a candle to this. This mm-hmm. is not to say those movies aren't good in their own right. But none like these movies do not have an ad, like Wes Craven gets like and, and he deserves it to a certain degree. But like Wes Craven gets it as this crown of like the king of horror, and I'm like no. And yes, Peter Jackson has an Oscar. Like this film is directed by an Oscar winner, so we do have yeah. to give it that level of acclaim. But like this is the sort of thing that we should be like. Lord of the Rings is a triumph, I guess, in that it's not a disaster for like <laughs> like three movies that were all filmed simultaneously and then somehow made like two billion dollars when that wasn't. Like a thing that happened normally And then later went on to make like win a ton of Oscars For a movie that like never won an Oscar in a million years mm-hmm. Like yeah Peter Jackson Is is the sort of lightning in a bottle filmmaker Like a Jimmy C Or George Lucas But at the same time though it's kind of shocking that like Like Rob said with the Universal acclaim that the Lord of the Rings Movies have that these films Do not I, I don't know how good Bad taste or meet the feebles are That this film even alone does not get like Like the acclaim that it deserves like people should be batting down like like peter jackson's door being like peter jackson forget the money we want to show this film for the genius you are mm-hmm. like we're not just licensing this so we can make money like of course we need to make money in order we can stay in business but like we want people like this movie deserves its fair day in the sun definitely that should be the pitch to peter jackson we want to give this movie the time of like the time of day it deserves <laughs> yeah hopefully he does too Peter Jackson, like if I was like, in, like if I was in charge, like I like to do it, like when Peter Jackson ever re-releases these films on Blu-ray. If I'm in charge of like a tie-in menu at IHOP or Denny's, I want to have the Dead Alive like tie-in menu. Well, that would be insane. I would do like I like I, I I might get fired, but I would write him a series. I'd be like, oh, we want to do this. It might okay. ruin the business in depth. Like if IHOP can be IBOB, Hi Bob, or what's it? Hi Hi IHOP. IHOP is that what it was when they did like yeah. International House of Burgers for a weekend? Yeah, it's yeah. like if we can do that sort of stupid marketing gimmick, we can do the Dead Alive gimmick for like for like a month and get away with it. Yeah, okay, okay. You heard it I here first, that. folks. I'm sure I'm sure that that's going to come up when you have some snacks to pitch, right? <laughs> it's not just snacks; it's a menu. It's a whole menu. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so okay, we, okay. We're, is there any sequences between here and the party at the end? Um, I guess just the, um, the baby, the park scene, which I, we talked about a little bit, um, but that's just, we, you know, insanely we, ridiculous. <laughs> that's ridiculous, but it's ridiculous. Like it's, I guess I think too of this movie, like you have, like you have a lot of sight gags, like we talked about, like the zombie, like sticking the spoon through his, like, like the back of his neck. That's mm-hmm. a sight gag. The whole thing with the baby at the park. And that's another sequence. I don't want to get too far into, cause I do want our audience to discover that. But like that's like physical and slapstick comedy done perfectly. Like every single thing, and like the thing too is that like there's such a like we were talking about like the blend of like practical. I think I forget what episode it was, but like, oh, under the skin, we're talking about like like staged footage and oh, candid yeah. footage being blended to a point where they're in, almost indistinguishable unless you know what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. With the baby puppet during the sequence, think about it, that entire sequence had to be filmed with a puppet and on occasion blended with like, like uh, uh, I guess a small, a little person actor. 
Yeah, for one or two of the shots. But think about it. They filmed that in a park. This isn't like like Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back with like Yoda. They like they built a sound. Like they had a sound stage and they built the set like ten feet off or like seven feet off the ground so the like the puppeteers can like operate the puppet. This mm-hmm. was filmed in a park because according to IMDb, I have no idea how true it is. Apparently, Peter Jackson made this film or came in like under budget for like fifty thousand dollars. And so he had like some money left over and said, Oh, wouldn't it be great if we added a sequence like this into the movie? Ah, interesting. And think about it, this scene wasn't even planned in advance. That's not to say that it's like the one day they show up in the park and they're like, We're just gonna shoot a scene with a with a zombie baby. Nothing <laughs> can go bad here. It's the idea that this was not even like conceived originally. It was conceived after the fact. And they did it all with limited resources and then took a scene that didn't even really even belong in the film, grafted it on, and it blends in perfectly. Yeah, okay. Good point. Right on. That's again perfection. Yep. Like, oh yeah. Like this this is like going back to Rob's like one of his first questions. This is why Peter Jackson got hired because people that worked at New Line back during the nineties, like Bob Shea, who I think we've talked about a little bit during like Jason Goes to Hell, and uh mm. he's he's in um uh, Doom Journey, Island of Dr. Moreau, Richard Stanley. He's in that. Because he was the head of New Line at the time for like when, like, well, Bob Shea founded New Line. But he was the one that, like, was somebody outside the box who would look at something like this and be like, this guy can do it. If this guy can spin this many plates with this little budget and think about it, when you make Dead Alive, you're not making the film expecting to make a ton of money. You, yeah, you're not yeah. making this movie to make a fortune. Like, you hope it will. You hope it'll make a ton of money, but like, you have to kind of go and being like, yeah, this isn't, I'm not going to be able to retire on this. And <laughs> that's where somebody that thinks outside the box will look at a film like this and be like, okay, this man is brilliant. This man mm-hmm. knows how to do it. And then that's where it's so sad that like 15 years later, he makes, or not even 10 years later, he does The Hobbit, and it's just bloated, nothing works. It's just there for the sake of being there. Yeah. There's yeah. no reason for it to exist other than the fact that it's like, let's make more money. And I think that might be kind of like, like a George Lucas, where it became more about the special effects, or Jimmy C, it became more about let just, I'm going to do whatever I want because I have a, a, a titanic, pardon the pun-sized ego. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> and that's where it's like that's kind of like the tragedy of these filmmakers that all started off with like a very creative space. It just like their I don't want to say their um, comfortability or just like that spunk or spark of creativity just kind of just disappeared. Yeah, yep. and, th- and that's the real tragedy of these these filmmakers. Definitely, at least we got some great stuff from them. Yes, we got uh, THX 1138, Dead Alive, and. Uh, have we ever talked about what the craziest Jimmy C film is? Like, like does Jimmy? I guess True Lies is his craziest film. Yeah, that one is pretty pretty crazy. <laughs> the fact that Jimmy C made a comedy about terrorism. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, because I'm trying to think between the baby sequence and the party, I don't. I think really the only thing that really happens of substance is that like. Paquita finally gets to see all the corpses. At this point, Lionel's learned finally what he ties. He ties them to chairs. That's yeah, his, that's yeah. his solution. And so, like, he, she finally convinces him to kill them all in, in a rather, I'd say, even like sentimental sequence. Lionel like euthanizes his mother. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
And that's like something too you wouldn't expect that in a zombie movie, the main character has to euthanize their mother, and not to say that it's 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 like like a like a, a tearjerker, but like it's a it's a sentimental moment that clicks. Yeah, uh, this was probably um, uh, inspiration for um, that scene in Shaun of the Dead. I think that almost that exact same scene happens where the mother t- starts to turn into a zombie, and he's like, "I don't want to kill her; she's my mother," type of thing. Oh, okay. It's funny you mentioned that. I think I forget one of the, again. Simon Pegg never stops talking, but <laughs> I think in an interview he did for that, he said that Dead Alive was their biggest influence in making Shaun of the Dead. Oh, okay. There you go. That that sentimental moment. Yeah, losing a loved one to the the zombification. Right on. But I think even beyond the zombification, it's the idea that like like his mother will live forever, but he's choosing to deliberately end her immortality or what he thinks is immortality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think in that in that moment, that sentimentality works. Like think of how many zombie movies there are. Name one moment in a zombie movie where the sentimentality works. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. There, like, don't be wrong. There are moments where they try that. But it never works because mm-hmm. it's like oh I, I think I think in that uh the Hack Snyder remake of like Dawn of the Dead or Land where, of the Dead yeah like, there's like a moment in there where there is some like forced sentimentality and it does it's like oh I guess it's kind of like what we said a couple weeks ago where or I think it was last week where it's like oh the chocolate ice cream where you're being told it tastes like chocolate the reason why you know it's chocolate is because the box says it is mm-hmm. it's like it's sentimental just because the music's telling me it is yeah. not because there's any sort of like like performance. Or story behind the moment And in that moment where, where Lionel has to Euthanize his mother like you feel that like He's genuinely saddened mm-hmm. And that he, he has to kill her even though despite the fact All the havoc she's caused And specifically caused him that he actually There is a sadness there Yeah yeah but It's not his but his mother Isn't really dead nor is it his Real mother yeah <laughs> Oh yeah oh man The, the whole once all hell breaks loose, it's just the, the roller coaster that's just like constantly looping around. It's awesome. <laughs> it is a thrill ride. That's that's probably the best yeah, way to describe yeah. the final what twenty five minutes of this movie. Definitely, because yeah, you're getting where you know learning like history or, or backstory that matters to our main character. We're getting tons of gore and and great effects of you know people getting ripped in half and. And different uh, zombie body parts, you know, kind of working autonomously to to kill people or eat people. Um, there's even what, like the gut, the intestine zombie or something at the a intest- certain point. The intest, there's okay. The greaser zombie gets like uh, bisected, and his like innards start falling out, and his innards become sentient and start attacking Lionel. Yeah. And at one point, we have, I guess, his asshole is still able to function, and we see a. Asshole without the body Fart Yes <laughs> That's a thing that happens And strangely oh, enough is not the craziest thing that happens In this movie Yeah yeah and then you know we get like Zach said uh, Zombie gets punched onto a light bulb And it just you know glows like a uh, Like a nightlight type of thing from the head That's awesome visual <laughs> it, it Oh really, it's great. Like even like when the zombies are reborn Because we find out after he's euthanized all of them That it's poison but it's an- Animal stimulant too <laughs> yes. I love that reveal where he's like You know he sees like the bottle Like it says poison then it rolls over And it says animal stimulant <laughs> I <laughs> the ground starts to like You know bubble up and <laughs> The hand comes out over I I want it on record that if and when we finally make Cinemati's merchandise, we are going to make like a beer, like a pint glass. Mm-hmm. And it's going to say poison, and then on the back, animal stimulant. 
Okay, I like we're, that. We're, we're, <laughs> if, if we ever make a piece of Cinematis merchandise, that's not the HMFIC hat. We are. That's what it's going to be. Okay, it's yeah, going to be the poison animal stimulant. It's gonna be, and that's and that's gonna be a collector's item we offer at the Cinematis restaurant. Ooh, okay, okay. It's kind of like what's going on now with like as we're recording this Star Wars at Disneyland. You can get like like you can buy a drink for like twenty five dollars for an additional seventy. You can keep the glass it came in. That's what it'll be. Okay, should we make a companion glass uh, that just says tranquilizers? <laughs> no, that's 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 like the the jug. Oh, okay, okay, that's if the you, uh, sure. Yeah, like if you like that, well, we will sell that too, but that's its own separate thing. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> That's that, that's I can tell you now, folks. If we ever make a piece of Cinematis merchandise, that's not the hats. It's going to be the beer stein. That's yeah, I that. like that. Yeah, <laughs> there's so much stuff going on in the last. Like I'm, I'm even clocking it right now. Like all hell starts to break loose at like the hour and seven mark. Okay, and the movie ends at like an hour and thirty three. So mm-hmm. it's a, like a legit twenty five minutes straight of just sheer white knuckle thrill ride zombie action. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People getting turned into zombies. People getting um, ripped in half. There's that one girl who gets bitten, and the uncle's like, "She's gonna turn into a zombie," and she's like, "No, I'm not. I promise." <laughs> oh, it's awesome. And I'm I'm guessing uh, during this party scene. This is what you're thinking is the best sequence in the film. I don't, I don't know if you want to give it away, but I, 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 there's one I'm thinking of that's uh, especially gory. Am I right in thinking that's, that's what your favorite one is? Every, every sequence in the film is the best sequence in the film. <laughs> no, the, I, I don't... the scene is especially I'm thinking of is, you know, or maybe this whole kind of, you know, when all hell's breaking loose and there's so much blood and stuff. This is definitely what uh, I'm thinking of when you said earlier in this discussion, you know, how do you how do you clean this up and do a second take? You know, it seems like it'd be like, OK, one day we're going to shoot it. The next day is literally just clean up because we've made such a mess. And then we have to have another day to shoot it again. So, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I would say, like, it's kind of hard. It's kind of like the cat in the hat. Can't pick my favorite moment. It's just more like realizing like what's going on in the specific moment. Mm-hmm. No, the very the very end with the lawnmower, and I don't know how like how like again not to go back to Evil Dead, but like Ash with the chainsaw hand became like this weird sort of like horror cu- uh, cultural touchstone. Yeah, but Lionel with a chainsaw, well, not chainsaw, with a lawn holding a lawnmower up. As a weapon, I don't know how that didn't become a thing. Yeah, you're right. I think there's even like one shot where it looks like he has it like slung over his body, like it's almost like he built himself like a little harness. You know, not really, really a harness, but there's like a rope over his shoulders that's helping him hold it. In like a wide shot of all the like the carnage and the aftermath, and I'm like, that that's a great you know type of hero shot. And you're absolutely right. I, I see the uh, Bruce Campbell thing all the time. It's like, why didn't this get that same kind of uh, you know status? Yeah, and that's just another that's just another element of this movie where like even like going back to like in, in not so much now but like about ten years ago maybe a little bit less we had like the zombie renaissance with like the Walking Dead and like zombie became part of like the, the cultural lexicon mm-hmm. and it's like how on earth when like people were like doing this that nobody dug this film out of just like the ashes yeah yeah it's absolutely. like and I, and I get it Peter Jackson is deliberately like I would imagine he's embarrassed I would imagine that, like think about like he he's won an Oscar. He's refined now. <laughs> exactly. And people who are refined don't talk about a movie with a farting asshole zombie. Yes. 
<laughs> like that, like we don't talk about that. And I think that's part of it too. Is that I think now, especially that like Peter Jackson's kind of like not that his reputation is tarnished, but like people really like the fans don't respect him after the Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Like like Mortal Engines just bombed, and that was like using his name as like a marquee like selling point. And it's like I think now that he kind of has to like go back and lick his wounds. Okay. Okay. And I think, and he kind of had that with like The Hobbit because, like, in 2009, he had that movie, like a really weird movie where like the girl gets like kidnapped and like raped and murdered by Stanley Tucci. Everyone's like, oh, that was, like, his, yeah. that was like his first follow up after I think like King Kong. Everyone's like, this is what he did after King Kong. Like, four <laughs> years after that, we have the weird, like, like, I forget. What the, I've never seen that movie. I've always wanted to see it because it's really weird. But it's in like Mark Wahlberg, her father, and it's like this like pre like pubescent or like maybe like just like on the verge of like teenage like little girl, and she gets like kidnapped by like Stanley Tucci, and she like writes letters and like Mark Wahlberg. Fi- I don't know. This might not be the movie at all. Like, it might be a completely different movie that I'm, I'm remembering. And, like, <laughs> and, like Mark Wahlberg, like her father finds all the letters, like her documenting, like the weird sort of like like yeah. happy like, like when she's like being raped, like all the happy. Like she like writes notes like after she's been raped, and he rem- like, and it's like oh like this is the ha- this is my happy. It's like diaries from my happy place, and like the final sequence of the movie is like her like him finding like her bones or something because the movie is called The Lovely Bone. Yep, yep. And it's like everyone looked at me like this is like I guess it makes sense. Like coming from a guy who did Dead Alive, like it makes sense, I guess. <laughs> but like this is coming from the guy who won an Oscar and tried to make like King Kong into a prestige picture. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, it's like 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 maybe we'll delve into that. Like, I don't know, Rob. We have to look into this. Maybe maybe this is a completely different movie, or maybe I'm just hallucinating all this. Okay. I um, think I, I uh you you know seem to know more about the plot, but I think the basic idea of you know the girl gets killed and the father is trying to find her body or something i think that's the premise i know i remember hearing a lot about that because i I knew some people that really liked the book because lovely bones was a book apparently also okay i was right well okay because i remember i remember reading about this and i remember just being like baffled because i think it came out in yeah december of 2009 because it was like during like obviously the, the avatar series of my life and i'm like i remember reading the plot for it being like what the hell (laughs) <laughs> I remember just being because that's what okay that's what it is it's uh whatever her name is whose name I can never say Sorzy Ronan okay and it's like yeah like okay oh, oh god Wikipedia's plot description is like fifteen like paragraphs long <laughs> but like yeah though and that's what it is Mark Wahlberg and you have like Mark Wahlberg doing his like Boston accent no matter where he lives and Stanley Tucci's like a rapist and it's like like who on earth would want to see this it's like like if you're like Rob and I you like these weird ass movies. It's like sure, like let's go for it. But like as a prestige Oscar picture, yeah, it's like who yeah. on earth is this for? Yeah, it has it has a thirty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Here, okay, this is the, the consensus on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the lovely bone suffers from abrupt shifts between horrific violence and sentimentality. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we might. Okay, we'll, we'll have to add that to the list. Hopefully we'll get a sequel. Maybe he'll, you know, he'll come back with a Dead Alive two or something in a few years. <laughs> okay, well, what would be the okay? We, we've made numerous jokes on on this podcast. Sicario two, Day of the Soldado, Fantastic Beast two, The Crimes of Grindelwald, Breaking two, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> I feel there's one more that we have that I'm forgetting. Did you say the the Die Harder or Blank oh, Harder? Oh no, 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 Die Hard. Yes, Die Hard two, Die Harder. What is the sequel for Dead Alive two? What's what's the, what's the subtitle? Ooh, 
that's a that's a good question. That's a good question. I feel like you know playing on the name change of this movie, or like the Brain Dead versus Dead Alive, something along those lines. But ooh, I w- we'll have to get that some thought. It seems like there's there's potential there. <laughs> Tune in next week, folks, as we finally decide what we're going to call the Dead Alive sequel. <laughs> It'll be in our update episode. <laughs> That'll be the, another one of those episodes where like Rob goes through the spreadsheet. And it's like Zach, you were indeterminate. Oh, that, yeah. that, that'll be a note in the spreadsheet that we go back to for the two year special anniversary <laughs> episode of the podcast. Zach, we never thought of the episode or the, the title for Dead Alive too. <laughs> Oh man! Look forward to that in what March of 2020, folks. Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> Our next extravaganza. The delve into the ending, I think, is just just basically describing different crazy things that happen at, at different moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like we said, it is a thrill ride. Yeah, because like even at the end, like you like I don't want to give it away again, but you think the good guys have won, but they haven't. Yeah, <laughs> but I have one question that kind of didn't. This is one thing that didn't make sense for me is mm-hmm. that at one point, Lionel's in the attic, he's going through a chest, and, and numerous times the mother leads him to believe that his father drowned trying to rescue them when they're at the beach. Yeah, and we keep at numerous times in the movie, he has flashbacks of somebody like drowning, but it's not like drowning is in like water, it's like somebody's head being forced underwater, mm-hmm. and so did the mother, did well, did the mother character kill his biological mother and father or like what's what's the story behind that i'm i'm not entirely sure um i think when i originally saw it, this film i i definitely thought it was like she killed the uh, his parents and then kind of took him in and was like oh I, he has to i'm gonna take take him in and he has to take care of me and love me and all that stuff oh, which is why okay. she's overbearing when i watched it for this recording i got more of the sense actually that it was like she, the the mother character, is his real mother and killed his father and a mistress that he she like caught caught him with or something like that. Oh, oh, okay, that would. So make I'm sense. not sure, but uh, so uh, yeah, for, so I uh, this last viewing made me think of that differently, though. So yeah, I think it is a little ambiguous. Gotcha. All right, it's always good to have at least a little bit of mystery in a film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the mis- another mystery of this film is um. The uh, the talisman thing that he gets oh, yeah. from Paquita's grandmother, like that, never seems to really matter, <laughs> and they just throw it away at the end, right? Well, no, that doesn't doesn't. Somebody wants to throw it away, but they hold it. I think it's he wants to throw it away, or she wants to throw it away, and the other one holds on to it. I think so. Yeah, I don't think they toss it, it in. It, I'm always like, uh, kind of like I, I always have been with this film. Like, you know, what is the point of this thing? Because you never really get a moment where it, like, you know. Stops like I, I I remember thinking you know maybe it's gonna like have oh uh, like a beam of light or something is gonna come out of it and you know destroy the zombies or something like that but it just seems like they're carrying it around. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He does toss it into the fire. Yeah. You're okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and I think I, the only thing it really does is doesn't it like he sees it spin around on its own and it points towards the the chest that he finds the body in or something in the picture. Yeah. But that's it. it. It's not really you know as important as um. It's set up to be, I guess, or at least I thought that it was set up to be. Well, it's not like, like if this was any other movie, this would be like, oh, this is the the this is the device that's going, the plot device that's going to save us. Yeah, it'd yeah. be the Iron Man's invented time travel that you can wear around your wrist. It's not <laughs> that plot device. It's it's something, and that'd be a question I'd like to ask. But maybe in future viewings, that would sit there, kind of reveal itself as to what it could be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. It serves a purpose, but I don't know exactly what it is. Mm, mm-hmm very ambiguous 
Yeah, so I guess other than that, um, you know, this craziness, you got to see it. You really have to see the last chunk of this movie to believe it, you know, how how much, how excessively awesome it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's sheer insanity. Yep, yep. The, um, the big mother zombie can talk. Like, so if you're zombified, you go all the way back around to being, you know, uh, human again almost. Not in, not in looks, but in mentality. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah, anything that you wanted to highlight from the um, this craziness? Uh, we no. Saying, we're just recommending it hardcore. <laughs> just uh, considering that this is out, again, it's on YouTube. It's an HD. It's for, for people at home, it's from an account that's named Mark Carl. So okay. it was it was published on July 2014. Again, it'll be linked to the show notes. Go watch it. Like this is a better quality than I had. I not even I watched on my DVD. Like this, like this is essential viewing. This is this isn't a joke, folks. This isn't like when Rob and I say, like, check it out. This is like if you are if for even if you've listened to us for even one episode, you must watch this movie if you haven't already <laughs> once before. I uh, I will say that you should. I agree with you, Zach. They should see this. And I am even going to go far enough to say that if you want to watch this, you are allowed to turn off Spirited Away and Triplets of Belleville so you can focus on it. <laughs> even, that's the highest level of yes. that you can get from Rob. Yes, you have permission to turn those other two movies off. <laughs> Folks, I, I, I told Rob this already, though, but I, I know when we first pitched this podcast, we were thinking of like, things to do for the first like few episodes. And like we're like like I think we're like oh let's do this that and I'm like Rob we can't we can't pick our best flowers first. As of today, we might have picked one of the best flowers. <laughs> this is this is like our champion rose. That's what yeah, this is. Yeah. Like we are not going to ever. Like, there's only a handful of these in existence. Yeah, I think when we, we when we picked this for the pure cinemodity series, we were like, oh, we're going to put it last because it's just such a slam dunk. And I think we didn't even realize at the time, however, like a month or two ago, how much of a slam dunk it, it really was. <laughs> if it was not for the fact that, like, I watched this like, on a Friday like, night, and we were, or no, Thursday night, and it wasn't until, like, Rob, we were recording Saturday afternoon, I would have told Rob, like, Rob, we have to save this. Like this we're, is we're like doing we, reanimator. <laughs> well, good thing we didn't do reanimator because reanimator. Again, I, I feel this also did borrow a little bit from reanimator because reanimator okay. goes goes really bonkers in the end too. But like reanimator would have been too similar to this. And if you had to do like hold the two up to each other, even though reanimator can hold its own, this would blow reanimator out of the water. Okay, okay. And that's and that's kind of like I'm glad in retrospect I didn't do that now. Because that it would have been too similar. It would definitely have like invited comparisons. But at the same time, though, it wouldn't have been fair to Reanimator. Because it'd be a lot of like, oh, like it's kind of like what happens in Reanimator. Something very similar at the end to our main character in Reanimator happens in this. And it's like, oh, like it's just like that moment. Mm, gotcha. And that's what I mean. I think I think Dead Alive, I think Peter Jackson definitely watched a lot of what was going on in, in horror in the 80s. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he reconciled all of it. Okay, I have to say, if I had to, put, I have like a pull quote for the Dead Alive like DVD box. It would be the best '80s horror film released in the '90s. <laughs> yeah, early '90s, so it like just missed the cutoff. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's what it is. This is a uh, like on Wikipedia they have it labeled as a slapstick zombie zombie comedy film. Okay, okay. And I don't know. I, I'd say like when you think of like dark comedy, you think of morbid, but there's nothing morbid about this. Mm-hmm. 
Like it's very light. It's it's a light-hearted zombie film. I think that's yeah, the best way to put it. a light-hearted definitely. zombie film. Yeah, like and, I was saying before with the music, it get, definitely gives you that you know almost upbeat, happy atmosphere. Especially the end credits music. Like the end credits music's like like yeah. a nice like toe tap and finger snapping jam. And it's like the sign of love has cast its spell. The truth foretold is now revealed. Like, yeah, man, like you're not, like, this isn't morbid. This isn't like, oh God, again, going back to the Hack Snyder one where it's like, oh God, like found footage, them like, es- like escaping, but they all die. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, like the good guys win. They beat the bad guys. Yeah. Like every single the one of the bad guys, not just the, the, the zombie hordes, but they also defeat the mother. They defeat the, 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 the uncle. Like who's also like like a, like a quasi rapist? Mm-hmm. It's like yep. an extortionist. It's like yeah, man, everybody wins, and our heroes get to go together and hold hands into the sunset. Yeah, I, I'm. I guess impl- it's implied that at the end of the movie, because you know the mansion like burns down, that uh, Paquita and Lionel are going back to the corner store where she works and lives. It seems. And so I can't imagine that, you know, it's like what the the grandmother and the grandfather or her father or whatever that we see in early on, where it's like you know. She finds love, and it's with this guy who has a mansion, but it gets burned down, so they're back at her store. Like that's, <laughs> that's not the happiest ending <laughs> for for the family. <laughs> but I imagine he still has all the mother's wealth, so it's like I would imagine. I would imagine the house was probably insured for something. Like yeah, hopefully, hopefully. That's another thing too. Like even if you look at this movie in the sense of like sets, like, there's only a handful of sets in this. You have like you have the house, and that's mm-hmm. what like two or three rooms. You have like the basement, the the dining room. The foyer, the foyer, yep. Yep. and you have the corner store, and yes, you have like the cemetery, and that's kind of like it. You have like a handful of set, like a handful of settings, and it's like or locations. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, it's not like we jump around. That's another thing too. Like every, I guess you have the park too. But that was like done after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's again, it's very like tight, efficient filmmaking too. Definitely. On top of bursting at the seams of creativity, it's efficient filmmaking. Yeah, lean, mean zombie machine. Oh yeah, <laughs> Peter Jackson. I know you said you're working on like fixing these up, but I need I need my 4K version of Dead Alive. Yes, <laughs> I need every single detail in like super duper high definition. <laughs> I want to see every pore on Paquita's chin. <laughs> oh, right on. Even like we even talk about Paquita that much. But even like as a romance, I know you said like it doesn't feel as forced as a lot of movies do. Mm-hmm. Even she, she's like she's game. Like, like that's the fun thing too. Is like she, she doesn't seem like like just like the normal. Like she's also proactive. She's not you're like your typical like screaming female protagonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even like you said that one woman like the, the glasses and like that like the black hair. Like, even like that, it's like yeah, it's yeah, man. This film is just uh, yeah. They all play their parts. Yeah, everybody does it right too. Nobody like even like the the actor that plays the uncle. He knows what like that would be like in any other movie. That'd be a hard kind of like or like it'd be hard not to be hammy. 
Mm-hmm. Like you can't be too mustache twirling in that moment. But even <laughs> that character, like, you think there'd be a moment of him like, like as I was watching, I'm like, oh, there's gonna be a moment with him like peeking through like a basement window, seeing Lionel with all the zombies. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, he just figures he's some sort of pervert doing stuff in the basement. It's just yeah. as simple as like, oh, if you don't give me part of the the estate or the inheritance, I'm gonna report you to the police for having corpses in the basement. And it's like, oh, because that's all you need. You don't need any sort of like grand scheme of like Lionel being like, no, no, no. No, no, don't don't tell on me. You were mm-hmm. my favorite. Like, there's none of that. It's just it's like one scene of him. He extorts Lionel. Lionel gives in. The end. Yep, perfect. But uh, yeah. So uh, anything else about Dead Alive, aka Brain Dead? Um, no, no. I think uh, with our our glowing recommendations and everything we've discussed, you know, it's definitely a pure cinemodity. Check it out. I'll probably have to check out the YouTube version because it's probably better quality than what I have. Also. <laughs> Um, but yeah, right on. I think I'm ready for some real questions. If you are, all right, cinemati in the can. This is this is the cinema again. Probably the only film I could honestly say might be able to give Eraserhead a run for its money. But maybe not even a run for its money. But in the sense that like they can both share the throne because mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a separate throne, not shared, but it's it's a shared uh, uh, royalty. Yeah, definitely. Because this, they're two very different films, but they they are perfection of what they're trying to get at. Absolutely. <laughs> Late night movie. Oh dear lord, this might this might actually ex, like expand the term. This might be even be, like, even though you should watch this at night. I think like you I, you should show this to people whenever you get the chance. <laughs> you have a TV screen. If somebody has a screen in their face, you tell them to put Dead Alive on. Okay, right on. Yeah, I have to agree that this is 100% a late night movie. This is everything that I want to show people, that I want to get them to talk about, that, you know, is going to raise a lot of great discussion and, and reactions. So, oh, this is this is like an explosive yes. You know, this is like a yes with asterisks that lead to other yeses. <laughs> and I think that's what kind of comes back to for Dead Alive being compared to Eraserhead. Is like, I remember like when I would show Eraserhead to people, again, a very limited amount, Eraserhead's a movie that you show them and you can never forget it. Like, mm-hmm. Eraser, like, like once you've seen Eraserhead, like that's, that's it. There's, you're never going to see something quite like that. Yeah. And yet, I think, you know, there are a ton of like zombie movies and maybe that's where even like you could possibly, this might be heresy to say, this is maybe even more of a cinemati than Eraserhead, is that like with Eraserhead, Eraserhead has no competition. Like there, there's nothing like Eraserhead. Like it, it's mm-hmm. its own thing. And there never will be another thing like it. Dead Alive lives in a very crowded genre. Yeah, definitely. And yet it stands above all of them very easily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think you, you can show somebody Walking Dead, uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead, all the knockoffs, all the ones that were pretty good, but still knockoffs. And I still think Dead Alive would, would climb to the top. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, this this genre, I think we've described, uh, we've talked about, you know, the, the horror, the zombie horror, the gory stuff. It's not really my favorite, but, you know, this one, it, it, it hits all the right notes. Absolutely. So, yeah, I have to agree with you. It is a, a god amongst men. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So uh, yeah, late night movie. Like I think, in all honesty, if you if you have a chance, if I were if I have my phone out and I show my phone to anybody in public, I don't care. Like if I'm in a public setting or if I'm at the grocery store handing my phone to the cashier to do, like, scan coupons, I will have Dead Alive on the. Oh, excuse me, let me change that for you. And be like, what was that? And I'd start telling them about Dead Alive. <laughs> I want to walk around with a sandwich board sign that says, "Ask me about Dead Alive." 
Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, have you have you heard of that new thing? There's like those phones that you can use to charge other people's phones, like where one yes. phone goes on top of it. So it's like you say to somebody like, oh, I need a charge. And then you get their phone or whatever and they put it down. You get to put your phone on top of theirs and then be like, psych, you're trapped here for the next 90 minutes. We're going to watch this movie. <laughs> there you go. That's how we do it. That's, yeah. how you, that's how you suck people in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Excuse, knock on people's doors like Jehovah's Witnesses and be like, excuse me, do you have a minute to talk about Dead Alive, our, our Lord and Savior? <laughs> I like that. We're going to make Dead Alive its own religion. Yes. <laughs> Every Sunday we watch Dead Alive. <laughs> oh my God. We print out pamphlets. Oh yeah, that'd be great to see people, you know, they it's like one of the some of the pamphlets are you know just on the side of the road or you know on the sidewalk and they're getting a little scuffed and dirty someone picks it up and it's like screenshots from the movie and they're like what is this this is a religion i can get behind <laughs> what we do is that on, in times square we'll we'll print out pamphlets and hire people to stand in times square and hand out the pamphlets <laughs> And then when people, if anybody t- actually talks to them and says, you know, what's this movie about? They are people just point at the billboard that's playing exactly. It okay. <laughs> and we also, you know, like they have like those like like knockoff like sketchy people and like like off brand like Mickey Mouse and like Woody yes. the, the yeah. cowboy costumes. We will have the equivalent of that. It'll be the baby. Oh, okay, cool, cool. There'll be a walk around character that you can take pictures with. Yeah, nice. I dig it. <laughs> so, Rob. As we've already discussed, we can't pure it's a pure cinemati, but we still have the cinemati's high school production of Dead Alive Brain Dead. Oh yeah. And I think I, this one would be great. Uh, I think right off the bat, we have to say the person who plays Paquita is gonna be the person <laughs> with the biggest chin in the school. Like they're yep. gonna literally have a chin like measuring competition for all the students in the school it's gonna be like a uh, like a mandatory visit to the nurse all the kids are gonna line up in the hallway and they're gonna <laughs> be trying to find the one with the biggest chin <laughs> i still don't get that but i'll play along with it i figure what we do is we hide like we, we, we put a little bit of extra money into the budget for this production considering the how special it is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we hire jay leno to be paquita <laughs> The man with the biggest chin in the world will have him play Paquita. That I, I really like that idea because I'm just now thinking like that would maybe um it would cause us to be able to blindside the parents of of the children. So it's like when they come to see it or when the school starts advertising that they're gonna be putting on this play in the Cinematis Auditorium. It'll be like, oh, what are they putting on? Dead Alive. What's that? It doesn't matter. Jay Leno's going to be in it. And they're like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> and then when they we're actually being see what accurate to the, <laughs> We're being accurate to the film, and we have a marquee name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I have to agree with you. You said maybe spending a little more money on this because it's special. I agree. I was thinking that um, maybe something like 90% of the budget would be just fake limbs. Like, you know, those like the, like a Halloween store or something, you can buy those like, you know, those cheap fake limbs of like arms and legs that are severed. Like there's sh- that's like a bunch of them. Too many of them in this production. <laughs> well, I was reading that how they did a lot of, like, like when they're, like, the limbs went into the lawnmower. What they did was they did like a cast of obviously 
with whatever of like a, like, mm-hmm. a, like a human arm, and they filled it with like food puree. So when it went into the blades, it would splatter. Ah. I say we do that exact same thing. So when it splatters on the audience, you can also kind of like lick it, and it's not toxic. Oh, okay, okay, I get behind that. Yeah, so that's like, interesting. So you do something. So it's some sort of like fragile, like molding thing that you can use, like almost like a. Hmm. Well, let's something like maybe like we mold. Uh, that'd be. I, I figured like sugar would be too fragile, but maybe we do something. Yeah, something where, a like, little it, more waxy or something like that. Yeah, but also edibles, people. So that's the yeah. whole point too. It's like you also get a snack while you're watching it. Because <laughs> we're not offering any like, like we talked about like we have like, like in a previous episode like having like a Gallagher like plastic sheet over the first few rows or ponchos. Nobody gets anything. We want you to look like Lionel and Paquita when you walk out every performance. Yes. Great. <laughs> I think I forget who it was. It was like I think it was like Kesha or Lady Gaga said something like, "When you leave my shows, you're going to be covered in glitter. When you walk out of the Cinematis <laughs> High School production of Dead Alive, you're going to be covered in what the actors and everybody else is covered in. You're going to need the, a shower the, and a dry cleaner when you're yeah. done with us." <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say. Um, on the playbill, do we put like a little, like maybe at the on the back of it or at the very bottom in tiny text, we say something like, you know. We are not liable for any uh, laundromat fees or dry cleaning <laughs> fees that are incurred during this viewing or something like that. <laughs> I want to keep it more ambiguous. It just says, like, in big, bold letters, you will get wet. You will get wet. <laughs> I think I have somewhere. Cinemonides Auditorium, Dead Alive, starring Jay Leno. You will get wet. That's <laughs> <laughs> just the most ridiculous marketing slogan. <laughs> it's on the playbill, too. Oh my God! Now, now that's that's what I want. If we ha- if we do like a um a Cinemodities T-shirt, I wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it can be interpreted so many different ways. You're gonna get wet. <laughs> uh, that's great. No, it's you will get wet. You will get wet. You will get wet. <laughs> There's no doubt. It's going to happen. It's it's just a matter of when. It's happening. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. So I'm trying to think, like, what would be, like, like what is, like, obviously we have to do every scene, but what's the one scene that we want to, like, do, like, in, like, one-to-one recreation? In all of its mm. high school, like, glory. I think the baby scene in the park could be good for that, just because of kind of, like, the shock value that I think it would get from parents and, and school officials and stuff like that. Mm. But what else is there? Um, I don't know. The, the ending when the... When he gets like he gets swallowed up by the mother's stomach or whatever, that'd be pretty cool to see on stage. I would have to say, like, I was thinking because the only thing about like when you like it's a little bit different in the movie because this movie relies a lot on close ups, yes, and you wouldn't be able to get that same effect during like a production, like a stage production. Definitely. So, like, I because my first like knee jerk reaction was the the zombie luncheon scene. Oh sure, okay. But then I but then I realized like oh a lot of those gags are because like, like it zooms in on them. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you're gonna lose a lot of that, like, if you're like sitting in the rows. Because we also want this to be just as like powerful for the people sitting like in the back rows. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. don't want you to have to be like in the first two rows in order to appreciate this. So you're so, saying like, we should just get like a huge cannon to shoot the blood and stuff, so it hits everybody in the audience. <laughs> yes, but what <laughs> I want is 
is that I, I going back to the limbs filled with few, food puree, uh, puree. I want the lawnmower. I want one of the high school kids with the lawnmower, like Lionel does, strapped mm. around him as like fake limbs go into the blade. Doesn't have to be a real blade. Doesn't have to be real. Just enough that so the fake limbs filled with few, food puree have enough that like they can get they'll they'll explode. Okay, sure. We need that. We need have if our actors are not covered in gook from hair to toe, we're not doing it right. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's gonna it's it's gonna be messy. You we will get wet. <laughs> you will get wet. That's the scene we need. We need the lawnmower scene with the zombies. If there's any sequence that needs to be brought forward, and we intend on bringing them all forward, but we gotta be creative with it. But mm-hmm. that's the sequence I think we would have to do. That's that's the selling point. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. And then the, the, you will get wet. Isn't just part of the marketing for the performance. It's also what they tell all the actors as they, you know, right before they do the audition, be like, okay, it's like you're auditioning for the role of Paquita. Uh, well, no, you don't, we have Jay Leno already. So you're, you're, uh, uh, trying out for the role of Lionel. You will get wet. Go for it. <laughs> and I like to add this as the okay. Do you have? I have a final way I want to end this. So, but I want this to be the the final wrap up for the Cinemati's High School Theater. So, do you? Is there anything else that you want to say about the high school production? Um, no, I definitely. I, we're on the same page. We, it has to be bloody. Has to be wet. Has to be messy. Absolutely. Um, the the only other thing I was going to bring up is you know how do we want. Um, Take something like the nurse, for example, whose whose head, you know, flaps on and off. Do we want to do anything with that? I was trying to give some thought into, you know, how could we, you know, kind of create such a thing um, for for one of our actors or something like that in a low budget way. Nothing nothing came to mind. But did you think about that at all? Oh, that's that's an easy effect. What you have to do is hire a or hire cast a very small high school student enough so like they can have like like wear that is like a prosthetic over their head. So. It doesn't look too weird, but they're so short enough. Oh no, that that's easily done. That with special effects makeup, that that's very easily done. Okay, do we do our students at the high school have special effects makeup? Yes, we're, no, <laughs> just, we just are, for this one. We are pulling out all the stops for this. Okay, okay. So, so the people who come see this will, will uh, in, enjoy it at least the production value much better than you know the the terrible mimicking of the uh, the copycat doppelganger in Annihilation. Yes. This is the one time we actually put some effort into this. Okay. Because okay, unless, okay. unless you have anything else to say, I know how we're going to wrap up Cinemodities Theater. Let's do it. Let's because this is the ending of the Pure Cinemodities series. Cinemodities, the high school theater, is shutting down. And as we said last week, every performance has to include the homeless person that we got for Under the Skin. Ah, yes, of course, of course. And I know how they're going to fit in. We are going to cast them as the giant, and I don't want to give it away, but let's just say it this way: the rebirthed mother. Ah, okay. And, and it's gonna be just the same way as it is in the final sequence of the movie. <laughs> okay. And we're gonna have him cool. operating a giant like puppet. Mm, but right on. But we, because this is the ending of Cinematic Theater, we're going to have the production end the same way the movie does. The it'll be Lionel, our our high school actor playing Lionel, will be swallowed. He'll burst out, and the the house will catch on fire. And by house, the auditorium, and we'll have to. And part of the show is you'll have to escort people out of the theater to conclude because we are going to burn the cinematic theater down. <laughs> we are going out with a literal bang. 
And the performance will end with our high school actor is Lionel Jay Leno is Paquita outside the auditorium as the actual fire department rolls up to put out the house and the production. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's how we end it. Because after this, that's the Cinematis Theater is going away. And we literally, we end it with a fire. It, it burns down. Do we tell any of like the, um, the school officials or the, the students that this is what's going to happen? Or is it like... When they once they realize that the theater is burning down, that all the theater kids are going to be like crying and upset because they don't get to put on any more plays <laughs> or something. And you know, then the superintendent is like, "What? It's like it's like you spent all this money and we only had it for a month." <laughs> the lawyers are saying, telling me I can't answer that question. <laughs> Cinemates does not condone or endorse or promote burning down a high school auditorium for a production. <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, frantically being handed papers. <laughs> that's how okay, it ends. I up. love it. That's, yeah, I love it. That's, that's how it. the imaginary Cinematis High School production ends. It ends with a bang. But we're we're gonna keep the um in the restaurant, you know, because when I'm I'm I don't think we said it, but I'm sure you know when we we get the we get it in the school, you know, before any plays are put on, the students and like the the district thanks us for the donation. And we have like one of those pictures where like all the kids sign something and it says like, thank you, Cinemodities Restaurant. That's going to stay in our restaurant, but the, the theater will have been burnt down. <laughs> yes. Okay, right on. <laughs> and the fun thing is the picture is taken as like the fire department trying to put the fire out. So you have all these kids like, quick, line up for a picture before, before they put it out entirely. Bunch of unhappy kids in, in zombie makeup and costumes, you know, in front of and a Jay burning Leno. building. And, and Jay Leno. <laughs> And Jay Leno, yes, Jay Leno. <laughs> Jay Leno's there for some reason. I, I can imagine a couple of years later, someone's looking at the picture in the cinema. He's rushing, they're just so confused. Is that Jay Leno? Yeah, <laughs> we, had him, we had him play a woman in this a stage adaption of Dead Alive. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's great. That's how Cinematis Theater ends. It, 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 it goes, and it, it dissolves back into the earth. Nice, nice. Okay, okay. Well, then, as that returns to the earth, we have to go back to the real uh, moneymaker, I should say. Even though I don't think we were making any money on the uh, on the auditorium, it was a, don a donation. But the restaurant, we have to talk about snacks, right? Oh yeah, the, the, the dead alive menu of the Cinemati restaurant. Yes. Yeah, so since since you have the menu, I think I'll turn it over to you first, Zach. Oh boy, we got so much. First, I want some dish involving the Sumatra rat monkey. Okay. Okay. I, I don't know exactly, but I think there needs to be some sort of dish, kind of like uh, like an escargot in a way. But like somebody brings out a live Sumatra rat monkey, <laughs> and they actually kill it in front of you, and it's, oh. pre it's, pre it's prepared in front of you. Ah. Okay. Okay. So something like a um, like a table side service, but from from like from scratch almost. Something like that. Okay. Okay. And then and then so then it would be something like you know. The meat of the of the monkey is what you're saying. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Will we have but, like beans? But it on, doesn't. On the, on the but side? it doesn't make you a zombie. It does not make you a zombie though. Okay. Okay. Would it be served with beans and custard with with blood in it? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I think I think that's kind of the Sumatra. It's a delicacy. I don't want to. You don't. You don't put any other sort of sides with it. Oh. Oh. Okay. 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 I get behind that. Sure. You have to special order it because we have to send people to uh, Skull Island in order to get it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I like that. I like that. Would that be a, like a main dish or an appetizer? Oh, that's a main dish. That's main a dish. Okay, main dish. Um, second, I, I already said the drink. You were gonna have some sort of like red punch 
in the glass that says poison animal stimulant. That's that goes without saying. Yeah, um, definitely. With the punch, I don't know exactly what flavor it would be though, but it'd be some sort of fruit, fruity flavors. Sure. I want the macaroni and what well, I think is macaroni. I don't, it's probably not, but I want to think it's macaroni and cheese. But mm-hmm. it's zombie macaroni and cheese. And the little, there's like little, like, I kind of do with like lobster and macaroni and cheese sometimes. We're going to put little bits of, it can be whatever you want, but I think it'd be more like lobster and we're going to say it's like flesh. Oh, interesting. But it's lobster okay. though. Sure. It's zombie sure. lop. It's a zombie mac and cheese. Zombie mac and cheese. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> And, of course, we need our staples like the custard, the baked beans, those sort of things. Yep. Yep. I, speaking of the, um, the zombie lunch and the zombie mac and cheese, that's the, the scene in the film. I think we already talked about it where um, we see him pouring the liquid tranquilizer like right from the jug onto the dishes. Yep. So I was thinking that we, we wouldn't do that just for this dish. We would make it an option to add tranquilizers to your meal. Ooh. And so you know how on the on uh, restaurant menus it's like you'll you'll read something and it'll say like you know and a little off to the side it'll be like you know add uh, onion rings for a dollar fifty or add a side salad for two dollars like there'll be a little like a little you know uh, spot on the menu where it'll say something like add tranquilizer for for you know this much extra. <laughs> I can get on board with that. And then that would you know keep our customers calm and probably they won't get as angry you know when when they don't get things that are edible from their food. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's, there's going to yeah. be a whole menu divide, devoted to, to Dead Alive on the Cinemati's menu. We, we could have our waiters uh, walk around, like, in, but instead of a pepper grinder, it's the liquid tranquilizers. And it's like, say when, and you know, there's those people who just like, they, they're just like, keep going, come on, more more tranquilizer. And they're like, leave leave the bottle. <laughs> I figure it'd be kind of like IHOP, where we have it like, on, we have different like versions of it. Like in little like dispensers. <laughs> like all the syrups? <laughs> yeah. We have different versions of tranquilizers. Tranquilizer, animal stimulant. <laughs> that's what we have. You can pour it onto your meal kind of like syrup on pancakes. Oh, that's great. I like that. <laughs> tranquilizers. <laughs> oh, we could have we could have the uh, Nazi doctor. Like as a character, giving people yeah. tranquilizers. <laughs> He's the one who comes and refills the condiments or the con- yeah. little condiment like station. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And he's the he's the person we have working with the um the train as well, the condiment train. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's his side job. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Trying to be efficient. Save save on some money for sure. Yes. <laughs> I do. I do like the custard with the blood in it. Absolutely. Um. I was trying to think of, you know, what, what the blood could be that would go well with custard. And I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head with the same thing that would kind of be uh, the puree that gets sprayed on the audience in the stage adaptation. Where, you know, if we had some type of like fruit reduction or like fruit compote or something in a custard, it probably wouldn't be that bad. And I'm sure that, that that's probably one of those things of thinking of like kids, if they still do, they have like Halloween parties. I don't know if it happens anymore, but you remember those things where it'd be like, ooh, it's like this bowl of eyeballs, but it's really just like grapes with some of the skin mm-hmm. peeled off. And it'd be like, look, it's custard with blood in it, but it's really just like a strawberry jam or something like that. I could see that have happened, uh, have been happening uh, at those parties, right? Yeah, I, that could definitely work. Okay, okay. I guess that brings up, you know, should we... We've, we talked about in this series uh, what we do when people have birthdays at the Cinemodities restaurant. Um, will people be able to, like, rent out a s- space for a party and have, like, a kid's party at the Cinemodities restaurant? 
yeah, I think we do parties. Okay, okay. I think we talked about the emodities section. Wasn't that during like Vox Lux? We Vox Lux. We talked about that. Where like there was going to uh, the the animatronic of of Natalie Portman. Oh yeah, during that was, parties. Yeah, part of the entertainment. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, we have, yep. we have a kids party section. Right on. Cool. I like that. And that's especially where we're going to be playing Dead Alive on the screens, right? Oh, definitely. Oh yeah, that's that, that's playing. <laughs> you actually choose to watch that during your meal, like like, like you know, like, like now you go to chain restaurants, they have like a little like like screen at your like thing where you can like play games and like where you can like order more drinks or food and stuff or you can pay your mm-hmm. bill on that screen when you're not doing those things we were playing dead alive right there <laughs> that's great i like that just constantly like on loop <laughs> perfection folks perfection right on right on some good snacks from the uh from the dead alive did you have any more nope that's it okay. for me right on well then zach we did it another month another series Pure cinematities. Yep. And so I think I think this whole series was uh, was done. Uh, maybe two reasons. Uh, one, so Zach could um, bide time, and two, so he could split up our next series in a, in an appropriate way. Uh, but are you ready, Zach? I'm going to tell I'm going to tell everybody what we're finally doing next bye bye, month. Bye bye downloads. <laughs> no, it's going to be a huge insurgence because everybody has been waiting for it. I think like. No, of, of the hundreds of emails we get a day, 90% of them are always asking for us to focus on sketch comedy. And not only are we doing one month of sketch comedy, we are doing two months of sketch comedy. This was the, um, the uh, agreement Zach and I came up with, the compromise, I should say, because I still want to do a full year. We got it down to two months. So, you know, uh, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> Folks, I was promised two years from now I can finally have my uh, 2001 blockbuster series. This, <laughs> this is the early payment. This is like the first like like installment payment of that. Yes, yes. So just like Zach with Monstover, uh, the sketch comedy series has gone through many iterations. Uh, as we're recording this, it's still going through some changes. So it's, I think, still a mystery to Zach and I what we're going to be discussing first. But be prepared. Next week, you're going to get some great sketch comedy discussion. And I guess I should say we are breaking it up. There will be a, a palate cleanser for Zach, I guess. I don't even know if he thinks about it that way. Um, when we do um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? That's in the middle of this series next year. Yeah, yeah. At the end of uh, – we're going to basically do four – because there's technically what? There's five Mondays in July. Mm-hmm. So four of those Mondays will be sketch comedy. The fifth Monday will be Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then all of August will be more sketch comedy – September, we're still keeping that under wraps, even though we know what we're going to do. And then Monstober is right, folks, Monstober is right around the corner at this point. Yes, yes. <laughs> I guess also, now that you mention it, since um, the second half of the sketch comedy will be in August, there's going to be also a, uh, a bonus Ben Affleck episode in there. Yes. So technically, yeah, there's going to be a, a, a palate cleanser between the palate cleanser. <laughs> Right on. It's going to be a great two months. I know I am super excited. Oh, boy. Folks, where did I, where did I get myself into? Look at it this way, folks. Don't leave, me, don't leave me hanging. Please don't. Much like you did during the Steve Odekirk series, please don't abandon me for sketch comedy. <laughs> but at the same time, don't show up enough that encourages Rob to ever do this again. Keep it in like third balance. month. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, Rob. So how are we going to end this episode? Um... 
I guess maybe with that end credit music, some of the upbeat stuff we have from Dead Alive. Other than that, we don't really have too much uh, music to play with, right? No, like we have a couple of neat sounds in this, but kind of like the baby cackling. But oh, there's really, sure, yeah. But there's really nothing, there's not a lot of musical stings in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll no, make it no, work. Yeah. Maybe I'll go, maybe I'll throw in some more, um, like five minutes of the Annihilation sound in reverse again. <laughs> Oh, yeah, people will certainly appreciate that. Oh, no, 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 no,